The Centre Steer podcast is sponsored by Commonwealth Classics and Knightsbridge Overland. This month's Center Steer podcast is sponsored by Commonwealth Classics. Commonwealth Classics is a direct importer of classic vehicles from Europe and South America and has a rotating collection of rare and unique vehicles in their showroom located in Virginia, just 45 minutes from Washington, D.C. Visit www.cwclassics.com to view their current inventory of classic vehicles. Thanks, Commonwealth Classics, for your continued support of the podcast. The Center Steer Podcast, a podcast by, for, and about Land Rover owners. Welcome to the Center Steer Podcast, podcast number 119 for February 2023. I'm your host, John Costage. Joining me over Zoom, Harold and Morgan. Welcome to the podcast again, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's good to be back for me. I missed last month. Yes, you did. Yes, you were you were unavailable as this month. Dixon is uh, handling Placid Lassie parts. They're carting them from somewhere. They got a whole big. Uh, yeah, he said truckload. he had two two fifty three foot trailers stuffed full of airplane parts, and they had the pallets all staged to fill what three more trailers? I mean, oh my god, that's a lot of airplane parts. Yeah, where are they going to put them? Apparently, they're in Florida, and they've uh, located these parts, and so that's where that's what he's doing. That's this a lot weekend. of trucks pulling those trailers. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I guess it's one of those situations where when you find them, you buy them. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. It's not something you buy at the local parts store. Our guest this podcast is Joanna Bull, off-roader and overlander. She is the partner of George Bull, who was uh, on our program last month. Joanna joins us for her view of what... We now are calling Team Bull. It's George and Joanna together. We're calling it Team Bull. Uh, we learn a few uh, other details from Joanna, particularly about the acquisition of her first rover from Seattle. They went on to the, well, I forget the island name. Uh, we found a couple extra details there. And also we hear about their driveway, how it's an overlanding experience just to, just to go to town. That'll be coming up later in the podcast. As a bonus for our Patreon supporters, we ask most guests, 10 questions. 10 questions is a quick fire round of questions and answers. And 10 questions is available in your Patreon feed only. So if you want to hear those additional 10, sometimes it's 13, sometimes it's nine. Depends on uh, how the mood strikes us. Uh, we asked uh, our most of our guests the 10 questions. It's available, as I said, only on your Patreon feed for our Patreon supporters. And thanks again to Bob for more brown water. Bob writes in, George Bull is truly one of special individuals in our unique world of Land Rover. His 101 at the 50th in 1998. And now talk of a return in the 101 for the 75th time in Jubilee in 2023, question mark. And a high bar has been set on that note. Brown water all around. So thanks, Bob. We do appreciate that. Thanks, Bob. Yes, thank you. And this is your monthly reminder that 2023 is Land Rover's 75th anniversary. We're inviting all Land Rover owners to the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in July of 2023, especially series and Defender owners. You now have five months to get your Rover ready. And an Arcs Diamond Jubilee will take place June 15th through the 18th in 2023 in Greek Peak Mountain Resort. That's in Cortland, New York. Registration is open. And as of uh, two days ago, when I last checked the registration numbers, we have over 300 people registered for the event. 
Very that's nice. A, that's a good turnout. Facility can handle like a thousand people for the Saturday, sorry, not the Saturday dinner, the Friday dinner, which is the, I'm calling it the Jubilee dinner. I think the rest of the planning team doesn't like the name, but that's what I'm calling it. The, the, that's the one we have to, you pay extra for because there's a limited amount of capacity for that, uh, event for, for that isn't, dinner. Isn't that the one that most events refer to as the banquet? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, that's there, there'll be uh, as part of that, there will be some awards given and other uh, activities and presentations taking place during yeah. that. So, and, and that's the only meal that, that is part of this deal, right? It's just the one. Uh, no, 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 that's no, no, that's the, it's the only meal that you have to pay extra for. Uh, there's going to be some uh, light continental breakfast. There will be a Saturday gathering uh, that will have, uh, it's like a cocktail hour so the uh, cocktail activity that i think will include some food and okay. uh you'll buy drinks on your own on that one coffee in the morning and yes that's like the breakfast coffee uh yeah, i believe good. there's gonna be continental. starting fluid we need that <laughs> yes <laughs> stay tuned to the end of the podcast we're asking for your participation as the podcast celebrates the 75th in april go over all the details at the end of the podcast and then both Dixon and I attended the main winter romp this month. I rode in a new Defender and with George Bull in his uh, Disco 3, his LR3. Uh, Dixon rode with Ben Smith in his in, in Ben's series truck. We'll talk about that in a special field report posted to this podcast feed later this month. And now for the news. Land Rover Defender, so popular that a third production shift has been added. JLR has decided to add a third shift for the Defender as it's at its production facility in Slovakia, according to the Automotive News Europe. The company's best-selling model, uh, the, uh, it is the company's best-selling model, and the extra shift will help clear backlog of orders for the Defender. In the fourth quarter of 2022, wholesales, which is sales to the dealers, amounted to 23,816 units, and of the 214,000 JLL orders, the Defender makes up about a quarter of that uh, 214 backlog. So they need to go to three shifts just to dig themselves out of a hole. Well, that'll yeah. that'll make a lot of Slovaks happy because you know, they'll have jobs. As interim CEO Adrian Mardell said, as we move to three shifts, you will see increasingly a lot of our orders on Defender will start to fall and retail sales increase. Along with the Defender, the Range Rover and the Range Rover Sport make up JLR's most profitable models. If you discount the cars from the company's joint venture in China, these three Land Rover models alone make up three quarters of JLR's wholesale figures. So that's a good sign. Well, I would, yeah, the presumption is they wouldn't be adding the the shifts and and focusing on on making as many as they can if if they still couldn't get chips. So that's that's encouraging. Agreed. That's, yes. Yeah. That's been their big holdup to this point is they couldn't build because they couldn't get the parts. So it sounds like they've got their parts supply kind of working now. Yeah, it's it's certainly a good sign. Um, and of course, they also recently launched the 130. So, you know, they must have to be working on that as well, especially since they tend to focus on the more expensive models, which that must be. <laughs> One would think, yes. So along those lines, uh, JLR is gradually reopening order books on the cheaper Jaguar models that have been affected by the chip crisis. And this includes the Jag XE and XF saloons. JLR in recent months has prioritized its limited chip supply for its three largest, most profitable models, the Range Rover, the Range Rover Sport, and the Defender. Uh, as a consequence, 75% of their 
200,000 plus uh, backlog, which we just mentioned, but I'm mentioning again because it's in this other article, are covered there. The same is true of the 50,000 order backlog in the UK. So they just have 50,000 back order backlog in just the UK. The strategy has meant customers have been unable to order certain core JLR models or face delivery time stretching over 12 months. Uh, in managing our chip supply, we had to prioritize where chips go. So for Discovery Sport, we restricted ordering down to a limited number of derivatives. And that was from uh, McGillicuddy, Patty McGillicuddy, who is the UK sales director. And currently, just three out of 12 Discovery Sport models are available to order in the UK. All of them plug-in hybrids, and delivery of those will take 9 to 12 months. So things are getting better, but apparently a little more slowly. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, if they're, they're, re, they're realigning their production to, to coincide with what they're able to build. But it sounds like since they're bringing back some of these other these other models that they maybe have a slightly better supply than they did. Yeah, if, if they're going into the not only sort of the low end, but also, let's face it, the Jags aren't really selling. So uh, <laughs> if they're willing to devote some chips to that, that's got to be a good sign. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, the number of Jags that they sold in the last year, I think was less than a thousand. So that's, uh, that'll be a good sign. But then again, you know, they're supposed to be moving over to full electric on the Jaguar side. So at some point you just kind of right. got to cut your losses and make the switch. Yeah. Maybe they're just trying to keep what few Jag buyers they have happy long enough to get them into an electric in a couple of years. Yeah. And the electric ones, of course, will take even more chips so they can, if they can devote a little bit of resources now to build these just to keep brand awareness going. Yeah. And even if they get the chips, then they have to get the batteries. <laughs> yeah. So Forbes had an article uh, entitled as Jag uh, Land Rover generates good news hurdles will take some jumping. So I'll read you some select passages here. JLR has produced some good news. It's reported the first quarterly profit in two years. Sales jumped as the chip crunch subsided and announced an extra shift to raise output. There's more JLR owner Tata revealed it will boost the switch to electric cars by setting up a battery cell factory in Europe. Experts differ on the preferred course of action for the new CEO to put the company back on a healthy trajectory, not forgetting that it wasn't that long ago that the target was 1 million sales a year, more than twice the current capacity. Suggestions for the new CEO, by the way, CEO hasn't been named yet. They're still working on that. But suggestions for the new CEO range from taking a leaf out of the Jaguar plan and moving the whole operation upmarket into or above Aston Martin territory, where sales would be modest but profits huge. Others say JLR isn't big enough to compete on most of what the likes of BMW, Mercedes, and Toyota, and, and Volkswagen, or Hyundai Genesis, uh, and should seek a merger or takeover. Professor David Bailey of the Birmingham Business School says JLR needs a partner, with BMW having the inside track because of its joint collaboration agreement to develop electric vehicle technology, adding he never understood exactly what Bolare's quote, this is a, from the, this is from the article, Bolare's quote unquote, bizarre strategy was and what, and was skeptical about his legacy. Further, interim CEO Mardell told analysts, uh, normal production without constraints would be about 40,000 vehicles a month, which is up from the 27,000 currently. And he's quoted as saying today, we are a long way from normal. I believe the challenge through 2023 will continue to be supply rather than demand, unquote. In the third quarter ended uh, of December 31st, JLR earned profit before tax of uh, 265 million pounds, $320 million, compared with a loss of 9 million pounds in the same period in 2021. 
and has forecast near break even for the whole physical, excuse me, for the whole financial year. Sales to dealers in the quarter increased 15% to just under 80,000. At the end of the quarter, the order book was 215,000 units. And then rounding this out at the article, if you want to read more, there's a whole bunch of analysis going on. They talk to different automotive experts about what JLR should or shouldn't do. But to conclude this, asked a comment, JLR made this statement, quote, through our reimagination strategy, we are delivering a modern luxury vision to make the most desirable cars for the most discerning of customers. This means producing lower volumes of more luxurious, higher margin vehicles. Already our most desired and most profitable collection, Range Rover, Range Rover Sport and Defender, are delivering greater revenues each quarter. We are creating new vehicles which epitomize modern luxury and the rapid electrification of the product portfolio with accompanying investment continues. Range Rover BEV will be launched in 2024 while the transformation of Jaguar into an all-electric modern luxury brand is on track and the first new vehicles will be with clients in 2025. There's one thing that that is a little interesting to me about well there's a couple that one is that i'm you know working to try to build a new battery plant in europe especially this year there have been a number of breakthroughs in battery technology and of course whenever you're building a plant it takes a long time to get that plant up and running right um, so it's, it's a little concerning that they might be you know, trying to build a lithium ion battery plant when something like a solid state or one of the, you know, the salt style batteries, you know, some of the stuff that's come up this year into actually coming right. into production might be more appropriate, especially for their vehicles. Uh, so obviously I'm sure they're taking all that into consideration, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's, uh, it's also interesting from an environmental standpoint because conventional battery production is really hard on the environment. And Europe has a lot of more tricky emissions rules than other places. Yes. And especially lithium ion trying to mine lithium and refine lithium is, uh, yeah. It's well, mind you, if it, if it was mined and refined somewhere else where there aren't as many rules and then just assembled in Europe, that that might might get by. And that usually is the case. Lithium is usually done in in sort of uh, not exactly arid regions, but they, they have to have a lot of land to to process lithium. So it's unlikely that Europe would be one of the places that they would actually do that process. Right. But so it's yeah, more it's, an assembly facility than, than, than the chemistry part of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and just the other topic of, you know, obviously it's hard to compete with BMW and Mercedes and, and Volkswagen. Toyota is sort of up there, but surprisingly Toyota also, even though they started sort of the whole hybrid popularization, they they are actually very behind in going to pure electric vehicles. And they recently announced that they're basically going to try to offer solutions to retrofit existing ICE engine vehicles with battery technology or hybrid technology and things like that. And that actually might be a really good option for JLR, especially since they have the SVO offering where they're doing so much customization for for clients and also restorations. Well, and a so, retrofit yeah. would, I think, fit the existing platforms better because you wouldn't have to like, you could, you could just 
put the motor in front of the the transfer case and all that because you have to drive two axles as opposed to having ripping out all the axles and replacing them with with hub motors or something else that gets complicated in a hurry. Well, don't forget their current models all have considered having some sort of electric capability as the the frames were intended yes, to have some of that already built in considered but not necessarily full baked engineering absolutely everything you guys have said all boils down to one thing and that's having ready amounts of cash to yeah. do something whether that's partnering right. doing or starting from scratch and doing it your own and there there's little hints of them doing all of this there's the there is we'll you know some further articles here will show you know like they're they're partnering with BMW to for on V8s and other engines right and they're well they they've been partnering with BMW for years buying engines trying to partner or or support uh with Nvidia and to get chips and to do other things i think they're trying all these things but it, it right. really it boils down uh, it boils down to having that ready cash and now that they're kind of recovering from the uh, the chip shortage and they can i mean thankfully they're in a, for as screwed up as things are with them being such a small manufacturing right manufacturer they're actually in a really good position because they've got high demand models that with high margin to them that people want look at that order book oh, and yeah. they're they're in a really good position they could e easily have, have gone away during covid uh, if they didn't have the Defender out and I and people still really interested in having a Defender or a Range Rover. It, it's better to be able to sell stuff you can't build than be able to build stuff you can't sell. But it's still a supply problem no matter what. It's you know supply supply of parts to build it, supply of cash to develop the technology. It's all about the supply. We'll move on in the articles because we'll cover some of these things again. First, uh, in the UK, JLR is changing how it is working with its dealers in selling vehicles. They are current. Uh, they're moving to the, what's called the agency model. By the end of 2024, will include a reorganization of its showrooms as a house of brands where Jag, Land Rover excuse me, where Jag, Range Rover, Discovery, and Defender will all have their discrete areas. The most radical change, however, will be the shift to agency itself under which JLR will take control of the buying process, whether online or via the showroom, with dealers paid an agent fee for handling each sale. This is a big departure from the current wholesale model where uh, JLR sells cars to the dealer network and then the dealer works to sell the car and 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 has the touch with the customer. So this is they're they're changing that model now in the UK. So basically the dealer's working on commission. I guess I guess I don't know it's yeah. it, it, I'm it, that's what Tesla would like to do here in the US but because of the way our laws are, you know, it's the wholesale model kind of tricky from a finance standpoint too because because well i mean the, the dealer has to like find they call it floor planning but they basically finance the their inventory and and pay against that but so i mean technically the dealer owns all that inventory but if they're working on commission does land rover own the inventory who's responsible for it and and how does you know how does the money flow for that i would be really interested to hear what what the answer is on that my assumption would be that if they're paying out you know per sale that land rover would own the vehicles that probably actually works out okay for them in this situation where they are so backordered on vehicles yeah because from, they have people just champing at the bit to buy the vehicles right but from a business standpoint 
you know, that, that dealership is an independent business and that business gets evaluated on a number of things and, you know, assets being one of them and, and the size of their inventory directly affects the value of that business. So if that changes dramatically, then so does the value of each of those dealerships. And I, I wonder if you're going to have some businessmen screaming about this. Oh, probably most likely. Uh, yeah, I would think so. But my question is, how does it affect the purchase of the vehicle in, in regards to in the US, you know, the dealer controls what models are brought to the US or purchased or manufactured. They the dealer set, buys ahead of time. Whereas right. in the rest of the world, it's, it's and, basically on special demand. order. Whereas the rest of the world, it's basically on demand. And you, you, the customer says, I would like this X model with these options. And then they usually go out and produce it. So I'm wondering if that will be impacted in any way. It doesn't seem like it, but you know, if they're yeah. switching, maybe gives, maybe actually, as I think of it, maybe gives Land Rover more control over what is produced and you know what is made. Cause then, they, then it's easier for them to restrict what models are available. Well, yeah, I think they would have more control over the product, man. So, I mean, in a sense, they always did, though, because they can always just not fill the dealer orders. But yeah, but then but it I makes mean, the dealer look bad to the customer and the customer well, gets upset. Well, sure. Yeah. Well, sure. But but yeah, the dealers had more input on that and, and they're probably not going to have as much now. The other thing that is interesting is that I think the dealers because. Uh, in the in this country, the, the the manufacturer sells it at wholesale to the dealer. So that sticker on the window is the basically the suggested retail price MSRP, and and then you can negotiate with the dealer for what you actually end up paying. And I think that under this model, that wouldn't happen. Or, or as they do here in the U.S., they have a regional sales adjustment cost. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which or usually, by the way, yeah. is up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Adjustment means more. Does not mean discount. Yes. 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 I stopped at the Land Rover dealer on the way up to Maine, and there was a regional adjustment of something like ten or twelve grand on some of the models. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the other part of it is that you know, with buying wholesale, when a dealer doesn't have what the customer wants, what they actually do is shop around from the other dealers and haggle and trade to get the vehicle. Oh well, yeah, they horse they the horse trade wants. a lot. You know what? You know, yeah. what, what? You know, you've got what I want. You know, what do I have that you need? And let's do a trade. Exactly. So that actually. It might be beneficial in some ways for the customer, but not necessarily. But it just sort of removes another step to expedite the process without a whole bunch of other financial dealings happening right. before they can get the vehicle they want. All right. Well, moving on. Consumer Reports says BMW makes the best cars, Land Rover the worst. And basically the headline tells you everything you need to know. But BMW climbed two spots to pole position, knocking previous winner Subaru into second place. In the Consumer Reports Auto Brand Report Card Rankings, the annual competition raised automaker, excuse me, rates automakers on the performance, safety, and reliability of their vehicles based on Consumer Reports' own independent tests and feedback accrued from member surveys. JLR, uh, excuse me, Jaguar finished in 30th place on 32, one rung below Alfa Romeo, while 32nd place out of 32 was Land Rover. The the company that uh, that beat them was Jet was Jeep. They were one rung above, and there's a score. So the top score for the for BMW in this uh, survey was 81, and that was and then Subaru had a 79, Mini had a 79, and Lexus uh, rounded the the top four 
at 77 and Land Rover had a score of 45. Jeep had a score of 46. Jaguar had a score of 52. And again, the top score was 81. I think when they got to 30, they just decided to do the rest of them alphabetically. (laughs) (laughs) Jag, Jeep, Land Rover. (laughs) Yeah. Alpha, Mitsubishi, GMC, they're all right above that. Mercedes was actually at number 26. That was kind of surprising. Yeah, I've heard things about their their post-sale support that that may be where some of that's coming from. Yeah, and that's that's sort of similar with with Land Rover that, there are some technical issues and and historically it it's been a little hard to to get those resolved uh, just through the the service center. But it is interesting that BMW gets so managed to get to first place uh, because they tend to be in a similar well, they're very similar market to BMW, Mercedes, and Land Rover in terms of being high end, tons of features. And that tends to be what really bites the the manufacturers is when they have a vehicle with tons of features, yeah. one little annoying problem really hurts their ratings with their customers. Well, it's the bells and whistles that break. Right. The basic basic drivetrain is fairly tough, but it's it's typically it's the bells and whistles that are the the reliability problem. I know that BMW a number of years ago, and I haven't kept track of this, a number of years ago they switched to sort of a subscription service model. No, they didn't. They uh, tested so no, they no, they thought they about it. it. They tested it. They didn't actually do that. Everyone thinks they were just thinking about doing the, the, <laughs> the subscription for the heated seats and all that stuff. That didn't actually happen. I, if it did, it happened like in one country that was, you know, not not in not one oh, of your major markets. Yeah, no, I wasn't uh, referring to features, oh, but to service plans. Um, so, like ma- service and maintenance. Um, so you basically, at least last probably five years ago when I last checked, you could get a maintenance plan which would cover consumables as well as general maintenance. Um, so I think things like that go a long way to improving the customer satisfaction. Kind of like a factory extended warranty plan of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually is a, would be a great idea for a Land Rover and Jag to do if they had that yeah. ready cash. Cause yeah, yeah. Well, if they, if they could afford to lose the money, you know, I think that would help the perception of the brand. Cause that's exactly what BMW did. You know, they, they had a perception yeah. of a reliability problem. People were not treating their cars well, especially when they were doing, when they were leasing them. And I think that's one of the reasons well, yeah. you had those ways of bring, bring the car in. We'll take care of the maintenance, right? Of course you're paying more, but still bring the car in to keep that maintenance going. Right. But if you include it up front and people don't even realize they're prepaying for all the maintenance, they just, you know, it just feels like it's free. So they're going to get it because it's, it's, it's already paid for. But I think it goes a long way to oh, yeah, creating that satisfaction. I mean, a lot of reliability problems come from deferred maintenance. Speaking of reliability, and yes, I did tee this up the way this way. 2023 Land Rover and Range Rovers and Jaguars at risk of engine oil leaks. Really? Shocker. Several thousand Land Rover and Jaguar models 
have been recalled in the United States due to potential oil leak. A recall notice published by NHTSA reveals a small number of JLR models fitted with the carmaker's AJ20-P6, uh, I guess it's the P6, three-liter six-cylinder engine may have a cam carrier oil gallery that wasn't fully drilled. As such, the oil channel could be blocked, potentially leading to the accumulation of oil against the pressure control valve's rubber membrane. The problem could result in an external oil leak or trigger increased oil carryover into the air intake system. An external oil leak may lead to an engine bay fire. The recall impacts a total of 6,644 vehicles in the Land Rover family. We'll have a link to the article, of course, on our website, and you can see the specific models involved. Uh, there are Range Rovers, Range Rover Sports, Velars Discoveries, and there's a small number of Jaguar F-Paces. Owners of impacted models will be instructed around March 31st to bring their vehicles to a dealership where a correctly machined component will be fitted if an incorrectly machined carrier cam carrier is found. I'd almost be more yeah, worried but, about, about cam failure from improper lubrication if, if the oil gallery is not drilled properly. I mean, I mean, yeah, it can leak, but I, I don't think it's any more fire prone than every other Land Rover ever made that leaks out the valve cover. <laughs> oh, so true. Well, at least this one's been identified. Well, yeah, I know. You got it. You got to, you know, one at a time, just find the problem and address it, but still work through them. All right, JLR is expanding its self-driving operations. JLR is putting its weight behind this self-driving thing, and this is from Top Gear. With six hubs already spread across the globe, it's set to open another three new European locations. It's all pally-pally with NVIDIA these days after announcing a multi-year partnership in February 2022 with a chipset manufacturer and AI expert. The two brands will collaborate to develop autonomous vehicle technologies for the next generation of JLR vehicles. Specifically, JLR wants to harness NVIDIA's know-how when it comes to parking cars and getting motors to drive themselves under certain conditions. Yeah, I think that's that's a good partnership. NVIDIA yeah. is really ahead on the, the efficiency of their neural processing units, their AI processing units. But the self-driving part... Hmm. Yeah. And, and when you start getting AI involved in self-driving, it's like, at what point does the car refuse to take you where you want to go? Because you've had enough. You need to go home. <laughs> and then they become yeah. self-aware and we're all done for. Well, or even like some of the stuff that's been going on with chat GPT lately. The problem is that you, uh, you know, you train an AI to act like a human and then you've got an AI that acts like a human. <laughs> Well, here's the, the the special thing that I think that other manufacturers probably haven't considered as much as Land Rover needs to consider, and that is, are they are they going to do the uh, self driving off road? That's a whole nother kettle of fish, and getting getting to do it on road is one thing. Right. I get doing a I get doing the self driving, and they need to look at it and do it. It's it, it you have to do it. You have to get into that uh, arena. But ultimately, are they if they're going to stay any in any way? With a foot in the off-road world, I don't know what they do there. I I, I don't. That's a that's something. Yeah, I don't know. The if big you question is what would be the point of self-driving off-road? The whole point of going off-road is recreation for the experience. Uh, you, you you actually right. you hit the nail on the head, Harold. You're absolutely right. But that's if it exactly could, right. if it could self-drive you to the trailhead, let you have your fun, and then take you home while you swill the beers and tell the lies over the phone. <laughs> 
the the other part of it is that Land Rovers are designed to use their off-road capabilities in inclement weather situations. And that is a situation where generally you don't want to use, well, at least until now, probably don't want to use AI. You certainly shouldn't even use cruise control in those situations. And, right. you know, how many people do do that? So if they could... The, the question is whether you have yeah. a difference in opinion between the driver and the AI, what's going to happen? Well, yes, but if they could if they could do with self-driving or even assisted driving technologies what they have done with their off-roading you know, they're all terrain, they're all terrain, weather terrain response types. Right. Stuff. Yeah. If they really could tune it in a way that handles those situations better than other manufacturers. Okay. Just like their, their capabilities. Otherwise that would be key. Okay. You know, to your point, Morgan, if they could collect the information that they've hopefully been collecting uh, on their, in the off-road arena, and then apply that to the on-road arena, I think that would be a differentiator for them compared to other manufacturers. Because that's something, you know, few manufacturers, I think, have access to. Uh, I could see maybe Toyota might have might, might have that. You know, other major manufacturers or close to being major, major manufacturers having off-road log collection on what happens when you do put it into mud you know, into the, into the mud setting and then you're in snow, does that help? Does it not? Don't know. You know, what's the feedback and can you then use that to apply that to winter driving on road? And that would, would that help out a Jag? Would that help out a, you know, a Range Rover that uh, is front wheel drive? You know, the, that to me would be a differentiator for them that they could certainly utilize. Yeah. And they, they do a lot with sensors already to, to sense terrain and, and such. I mean, waiting depth is, is a sensor that you could use that would be part of all, you know, any, any sort of AI, AI driving. I wondered uh, what other manufacturers have a weight sense built into their vehicles. Well, and it actually makes me, it reminds me of a, a funny video I saw on YouTube recently where somebody tested their Tesla to see what its, you know, adaptive cruise control would do if they transitioned from tarmac, from pavement to a dirt road. So they took their Tesla and they got it up to 50 miles an hour and they set the cruise control. And when it transitioned to the dirt, it just kept going 50 miles an hour as they, they got their They're doing full on rally cross and just doing the Joker <laughs> yeah. lap. And oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, that's an area where I don't think Tesla really pays attention to that. That's not their target demographic. But if Land Rover were to, were to really tune for that, that would be well worthwhile, just like they did with the Range Rover Classic when they originally designed and introduced it. They made it full-time four-wheel drive for the safety reasons. It's important to point out that full self-driving mode is still a long way off. You know, we, especially here in the Pittsburgh area, we had a number we had a, we had a number of robotics kind of related uh, companies spring up because the Ro National Robotics Institute is here, and in the, and they sprung up because everyone thought that AI that full self driving was the next big thing. They had test cars out on the streets. Uh, we had Ford and Volkswagen and other companies invest money into some of these companies here in the area. Some of them have gone out of business or have now been split up. It's determined it's been determined that full self driving is is a further along. It's more complicated than they originally thought and it's going to be further yeah than imagine that but the assisted stuff yeah that's different i that right. that that's something i think we're probably land rover needs to help out with they're doing a, on the on the off-road side with, with assisted driving but on the on-road side you know the blind spot detection lane lane keeping these are all 
assisted driving activities, even even uh, right. cruise control the, that keeps the the does the braking for you automatically, so you don't you, know, you run into the right, back the, of the, car. the collision avoidance stuff. There yeah. you go. Thank you. Collision avoidance, the automatic yeah. braking, and all that. Yeah. That's all. That's all great stuff that. Yeah, that definitely Land Rover and other companies need to. And need to it's working properly. It's great stuff. Well, it's right, but it's it's a, it's that's why it's assisted. It's you know it doesn't remove right. the it doesn't remove the driver from doing something. Any still, it's just it's a backup. It's like a seatbelt. Right. You know, it's an it's an aid. It's an assist. Right. So, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, to Range Rovers are painful to insure in London due to. <laughs> High theft risk. I just had to pull this one out. Range Rovers have become increasingly difficult and expensive to insure in the in London. In a report by Autocar, Range Rover is the second most stolen vehicle in the UK in 2022, which saw many insurers hit by claims. This resulted in the current problem, a significant increase in premiums for the specific vehicle, and many insurance companies no longer offering to insure the vehicle altogether. Owners of Range Rovers are now struggling to find a reasonable insurance policy for their vehicles, even from Land Rover itself. Uh, Neil Thomas, director of investigation services at AX, a vehicle tracking company, has explained to Autocar that Range Rovers are profitable targets for thieves. He told the publication, the problem of Range Rovers is not their security. Instead, it's their huge popularity here and abroad. A thief knows they can dispose of one very easily and for good price. So we'll in so we'll invest in technology. They need to oh so they will. There's a they left out a word there. So they will invest in the technology they need to steal them. Yeah, sounds like a similar problem we're having in this country right now with with Hyundai's and Kias being so easy to steal that the insurance companies are refusing to insure them. <laughs> well, that's. Well, that's because of the ease and the well, yeah. I <laughs> mean, reluctance of the manufacturer to actually introduce modern security. But or, but or no security, yeah, although they are, or any, they are yeah. they're working to fix that now. Well, yeah, you can overpower the ignition lock and steal them. Yeah, it's it. But and it doesn't help any that there's like a TikTok challenge to, you know, go out and steal one. Have some fun. They're just joyriding. Exactly. They're not even parting them out and making money on them because <laughs> there's no point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Land Rover designs new roll cage and suspension for a hardcore off-road defender. Land Rover's earned a solid reputation in the general off-roading arena, but two new patents suggest the British manufacturer may be planning to enter the world of off-road endurance racing. Historically, motorsport has not been a priority for Land Rover, although Bowler, which is a subsidiary since 2019 of JLR, has experienced some success with Land Rover-based racing machines uh, years ago. These off-road racing aspirations are now kicking into high gear, as is evident with two patents found by CarBuzz at the World Intellectual Property Organization. The first patent details a roll cage right down to the spare wheel mounting, and the second involves a new bump stop design intended specifically for multi-link suspension systems used with a unibody vehicle, but specifically shows how the system would mount to a roll cage. These patents indicate that a Land Rover Defender could be under development for off-road racing duties because this particular combination of body construction and suspension design are key features of the new Defender. There isn't anything particularly noteworthy about the space frames design, but the hydraulic bump stops are somewhat novel. Bump stops are fitted to a vehicle to contain excess suspension movement at the upper end of the suspension travel and are usually made of rubber and mounted to a suspension arm on one side and either on the body or subframe on the other side. So if you want to know more about those patents and uh, how they look, there's some uh, drawings in the CarBuzz uh, document. Uh, we'll have a link to, of course, in the show notes. So that could be cool. They could might, might yeah. get involved in the Jakar or something. 
I mean, well, yeah. And, and Bowler's always been a player in, in off-road motorsport, but they've never really had the resources. And, you know, we talk about Land Rover being a small company all the time, but Bowler was an even smaller company. So now being acquired by Land Rover, all of a sudden they have resources now and they can do this kind of stuff. And I, I would be shocked if they, if they didn't try it. So, I mean, it's just, this is, yeah, this, I've been waiting for this. And of course the Defender has changed so much since Bowler was, was pushing their, right. Their models, uh, because it's, as the article mentioned, it is now a unibody architecture. Whereas well, they have a new defender to work with and, and they can't build on the old defender because it's not being made anymore. So, And speaking of the defender getting uh, a rugged version, uh, Land Rover continues to develop a hotter version of the defender that might wear the brand's SVX performance badge. The defender SVX reportedly uses the V8 model as a starting point and transforms it into even more rugged model in front, there appears to be a larger openings in the fascia for directing more air into the more powerful engine. These pictures show a skid plate beneath the nose. So if you go out to uh, our website, there's a link to Motor One showing you uh, this uh, Defender potential Defender SVX. And according to an earlier rumor, the Defender SVX might use a BMW sourced 4.4 liter twin turbo V8 rather than the 5 liter supercharged V8 in the Defender V8. We know nothing about the Defender V. SVX's price, but given its position in the lineup, we'd expect the model to cost more than the V8. The 2022 Defender 90 V8 starts at $98,550, while with Destin after the destination fee, and the uh, the 110 takes the figure to $101,750. Yeah, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. <laughs> so it's well, really, and- really cool development camo. It kind of looks like there's a googly eye in the middle of the front of it. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Looks like, yeah, right yes. there. Yeah, it does. I like that. <laughs> Right above the number plate. Right yeah. above the number plate, yeah. Yeah, it is cool camo. So I have to ask, I can't remember, Did have they had an actual released SVX model of any any of their you know because i remember of they anything had, in the in the like the last five years you mean yeah because i know they had been working on for the discovery five an svx model and they were all ready to release it and then they canceled it but i can't remember if they did any other svx models since well i think they reorganized the whole ssv division part in part and parcel with acquiring bowler so I think it kind yeah. of changed their their rollout on some of this stuff. But again, you know, a synergy with Bowler. So that, that's always a good thing. Totally. Yeah, because I remember like the SVX of the Disco 5 was, I think that one had like the rear winch and all of that stuff. And then they, <laughs> yeah. I think there. I think you're right. I think there was something about an SVX Defender about a year or so ago. Um, and you're right. There was uh, some discussion, I think, of having a... Winch I almost wonder after. how much of this is just teasing people to see what the response will be. Yeah. Now that they can build more because they, yeah, they, have, they have more chips right. so we can do more. All right. The Range Rover, Range Rover gives the 2024 Velar updated looks and a big screen, keeping its styling fresh for 2024 with new headlights and taillights and the comprehensive interior redesign. You'll notice more of a difference inside. And again, this is the Velar where the previous two-screen setup gives way to a new floating 11.4-inch curved glass touchscreen display in the middle of the dash. This screen runs the latest. This screen runs the latest version of the Defender Privy Pro and gives the cabin a cleaner look. 
There aren't many changes for the two available powertrains, 247 horsepower turbocharged two liter inline four and a 395 horsepower turbocharged three liter inline six with a 48 volt hybrid system in the P400. Prices are up across the board with the uh, S2P250 starting at $62,775. The Dynamic SEP250, $65,000. The Dynamic SEP400, $71,825. And the Dynamic HSEP400 at $79,675. Land Rover says the 2024 Velar model is available to order now. I think I figured out why they're interested in self-driving vehicles. Because they can't make the screen any bigger without blocking your view of the windscreen. Have you seen some of the, that Mercedes concept vehicle, which was like one giant screen on the, for the dash? It was just like almost like a curved thing from side to side. Yeah, I mean, come on. Do we really need that? <laughs> no. No, you do need that, Harold, when, when they all become taxis and you're not driving and then it's going to be all ads all the time. You're going to get in this thing and there's going to be constant ads all around you. You're not going to be able to see outside. You're going to be a captive, uh, captive uh, audience. Yeah. So you'll no longer have to worry about all those, those electronic billboards because they'll be inside with you. Right. I figured that would get you going. That is, yeah. Then nothing. Oh uh, yeah. There's, there's a, there's a couple new ones here. Cause you know, that's what it's going to be. Oh you're yeah. Inside oh, the vehicle. Absolutely. Harold. Oh, absolutely. It's that's, cause they'll that's turn up the brightness so that it's blinding and you it have will. no choice. Yeah. There's a black mirror episode where, people were playing like a video game or something and they would go back to sleep. And then like their whole, their whole uh, bedroom was just green all around. And yeah, that's, that's the nightmare for me. Absolute nightmare. Yeah. You know, they're waiting for this. The, 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 especially the marketing and the advertising companies, they're just waiting for this. So they can like, Oh, it'll be a self-driving vehicle. It'll be a taxi. You'll get in it and it'll just be all one giant screen. There'll be, there'll be no windows and we'll be able to put all these ads to it. And of course we'll, and they won't lower the cost of course, cause it won't be free. You'll still have to pay to use the vehicle and then they'll throw these ads at you. It'll be like the Johnny cab meets idiocracy, right? Yeah. All right. Redesign 2023 Land Rover Range Rover Sport finds its niche. And this is from Consumer Reports. Land Rover has redesigned the Sport SUV for 2023. Following the trail blazed by the larger Range Rover, the new Sport offers a variety of powertrains, including a plug-in hybrid, along with premium amenities and a new infotainment system. The silhouette is similar to that of the 2022 model, but the body has been smoothed out to the point that it looks more like a concept vehicle rather than a production model. And I will say, by based on the picture, I agree. I think I, I like the little more roundedness of this particular model. Yeah, it looks a little taller, too. It kind of looks more like a disco than it used to. Oh, yeah, you're right, Harold. I can see that. I, I suspect it's uh, high up on the uh, on the air suspension. I don't know about that. There's not that much tire clearance. Yeah, I think it's just but a it, tall it body. is interesting. It's high waist. Consumer Reports goes on to say, we're happy to report that this new model of the Sport has eliminated some of the flaws of the last one. Most notably, the jarring stiff ride is gone, and so is the over-the-top raucous exhaust note. The interior is also more oh, modern. Take and all the fun out. It's also more modern luxurious <laughs> than before. These updates may, should make it more capable competitor to the Audi Q7, the X5, uh, the, and the Porsche Cayenne. Powertrains include two versions of the three liter inline six that utilize turbocharging, supercharging, and a mild hybrid setup. Prices start at $83,000 for the base SEP360 model, which is the version we purchased for our test program. The dynamic SEP400 starts at $90,000, and the autobiography P44E plug in hybrid begins at $104,200. 
Land Rover charges a $1,475 destination fee for all Range Rover Sports. Yikes. That's your uh, your new Range Rover Sport. Yeah, I wonder if they've actually increased the aerodynamics much with the with that smoothing. Because it kind of looks like it. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know if it could be significant enough. Well, smoother is one thing, and, and it's, it's important, but frontal area, they make if you make the body bigger and chunkier, it doesn't matter how slippery it is, it's still pushing more air. Yep. Because it has so to punch true. a bigger hole. I got to love Jalopnik. I love this headline. Land Rover will sell you a $165,000 set of skis and throw in a Range Rover Sport. <laughs> Sweet. Free Range Rover Sport. Free Range Rover Sport. And here's what you get. <laughs> Land Rover's outfitting the two, the 2023 Range Rover Sport with enough equipment to turn the performance-oriented SUV into the ultimate winter vehicle. The British car maker is building upon the Sport V8 with his limited release of the 2023 Range Rover Sport Deer Valley Edition, named after the famous ski resort in Park City, Utah. There will be only 20 Deer Valley Editions made, which makes this rover rarer than climbers who summited K2. The theme behind the new Range Rover Sport Deer Valley Edition is all about wintertime and wintertime sports. Uh, other than the SUV being built upon the Range Rover Sport autobiography, P350 V8, the limited edition rover is mostly characterized by its appearance, both inside and out. All Deer Valley editions will be finished in deep gloss vermilion red and will feature sleek, dark colored accents from the black exterior package. The 23-inch wheels will keep the theme going with satin dark gray finish and carbon accents. The interior is standard Range Rover fare, which is to say it will it was a rolling VIP lounge featuring carbon interior panels throughout, rich two-tone uh, seats. Land Rover is going to etch the limited edition SUV door sills with Deer Valley Edition and one of 20 to distinguish them from other Rovers, but really sets the limited edition apart from its stablemates are the extras that Land Rover's throwing in for the price. For the low price, this is uh, Jalopnik, for the low price of $165,000, the starting price of the 2023 Range Rover Sport Deer Valley Edition, JLR uh, will throw in two sets of skis personally fitted to buyers and a session with a skiing coach. Also, a three-day stay at Deer Valley Resort and two passes to hit the slopes. For a cool $165,000, Land Rover will sell you a weekend winter getaway in the mountains and a fast Range Rover Sport to get you there. Compete with skis, winter wheel tires, and some markings on your door sills. The Range Rover Autobiography First Edition, which came with the same V8, started just under $123,000, which makes the Deer Valley Edition much more expensive, though arguably rarer. So it's a forty thousand dollars set of skis, basically, because that's the only difference between that and the autobiography. And, and a weekend? The, oh no, you get a weekend getaway. You oh get, yeah, yeah, okay. A, well, that's worth a weekend getaway. That's worth a couple grand, but and you, it's only one of twenty, Harold. Only one of twenty. So, so basically, you're buying a hundred and sixty thousand dollars set of skis and getting a free Range Rover. I wonder if you could resell those skis and and get get yourself a free Range Rover. Don't expect to transfer the warranty on it. <laughs> on the skis or the Range Rover? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> and the 2023 Land Rover Defender 130 First Drive. This is from Motor Trend. I'll read some selected passages uh, if you want to know more. If you're thinking about buying one, I'll let you go check out the full article. The 130 has the same wheelbase as the 110, but cantilevered an extra 13.4 inches of body length behind its rear wheels, making the third row a far nicer place to occupy with more room, a window, and glass, a roof to stave off claustrophobia. 
All right, Motor Trend says, we lined up three men all over six foot tall and had them sit behind each other. All three had ample headroom and enough leg room that no one's knees hit the seat in front of them. Although it's infinitely better, the third row isn't perfect. It's easier to clamber into than the 110, but that's not a high bar. The nimble will have no problem, but the less coordinated or larger passengers might find the opening a bit tight. And while the third row was definitely more spacious, the wheel wells intrude into the cabin enough that passengers have to bend their feet around it. The biggest surprise and letdown is that the 132nd and 3rd row seats don't fold completely flat. Tilt those seat backs forward and you create a tiered cargo area. You can feel the extra size of the vehicle at slower speeds. There's a bit of a lag when you step on the accelerator, though once up to cruising and highway speeds, engine response perks up noticeably. And uh, yeah, you can, if you want to, if you're considering buying one or want to know more, go out and check out the article. Those are the kind of the highlights I wanted to pull out for you. It's interesting that it doesn't fold completely flat, which... Is, is actually very surprising. Yeah, it is. Kind of disappointing, actually. As, as a better word, you're right. It is kind of disappointing that it's uh, not completely flat. All right, and if you're uh, interested in the new Enos Grenadier, uh, Auto Express has a video where they were able to drive the production vehicle. Go out and check that out for yourself. Uh, it is uh, 10 minutes and 44 seconds of uh, the brand new Enos Grenadier. This is a full production model. Uh, there are likes and dislikes about it. And uh, if that's something that interests you, you might want to check out that Auto Express video. Yeah, I like the the subtitle in this this article. It's it's not an SUV or a Land Rover. <laughs> <laughs> sort of kind of looks like one, but it doesn't. Yeah, Kind of looks like an airplane outside, inside with yeah. that overhead panel and, and all those switches. I, as I understand it, those switches are like you can configure those for, for whatever accessories you might want to add to the vehicle. Yes, that's yeah, that's correct. And there's the only touch screen is for the uh, information uh, infotainment system. Other than that, yeah, you have all these buttons uh, on the console in front of you and then on the overhead panel. I like actual switches. Yeah, I, that is uh, me too. That is really, that is really cool. I think that's, and that's the, uh, the auto express uh, journalist said that was one of the things he liked best about the vehicle too. Okay. We, we had an internal debate of whether we should uh, bring this one up, but this is another Jalopnik article and you know, they like to gather the, the clicks and the likes. Definitely an attention getting headline. Yes. Which is, these are the cars that spell financial ruin to you. <laughs> There's 17 of them. And, uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll talk about a couple. I'll just, if, if I'll read them and then if you guys want to comment, feel free. The Jag Lister seven liter, the BMW M5, Aston Martin Lagonda, the BMW 850 CSI, the TVR Tuscan, uh, VW Touareg V10, which was kind of surprising to have a newer vehicle out there. Well, it's the, the V10 TDI is, is expensive and the maintenance on it is expensive because it's 10 cylinders. The, uh, in, the, yep. in the description down here, it says, aside from its insane complexity. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Oh, and one of the BMWs they mentioned was the V12 model. Right. That, which, <laughs> right. So. The eight, well, the, yeah, the 850 is the V12, yeah. Yeah. And number eight is the Bentley T2. Uh, number nine, Land Rover Defender, the original. They, you know, I guess we're all shocked not that it's uh, that it's on the list. There's a little description here. Most of these things are available in the market in good condition, go for well over six figures. Either way, you're going to be stuck with a utilitarian money pit. Uh, I mean, there's some value. Mm, there's some legitimacy. I mean, yes, and, yes and no. It just depends. I mean, the thing is that the only Defender that, that you and I can afford is one that's going to need a lot of work done to it. So it's going to be expensive. Yeah. 
And and it's by the time they're old a, enough to legally import in this country, they're they're 25 years old. There's a lot of stuff that has to be done to them. So you, you buy into it and then you realize there's all this work that still has to be done. And, and most people aren't prepared for that. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like a classic Porsche that, you know, parts are expensive and and oh, yeah. some people are rivet counters and you can sink a lot of money into it. But it's also probably a little bit like a classic Porsche in the, in the sense that now they have such good resale value that it right. doesn't matter too much. I mean, you will get most of your money back out on a, on a Defender. It's not like just buying any other 25. Buying a 25-year-old Chevy is a great way to lose some money. But, I mean, the numbers are bigger with the Defender. That's maybe why it's getting attention of, of the folks over at Jalopnik. And then next is the Jag E-Type Series 1. Same reason as the 110. That's the most expensive E-Type out there is the Series 1. Uh, the Nissan R3-4, the, and this one surprised me also in Land Rover, was uh, the LR3 and the LR4. But it's the LR4 with the 5-liter V8 because that's that's a high-maintenance thing. And then the Ferrari FF. Well, it's a Ferrari. You need to say no more. <laughs> Not, nothing more expensive than a cheap Ferrari. Uh, the Jeep M677, then Audi A8 from 2013, and there's your, there's your list. So those are your... Uh, so I thought we'd, we'd touch on it. Then moving on, we have Prince Philip's uh, Defender was recently sold at auction for 120,000 pounds. And this is a vehicle was registered in 2010 and used by Prince Philip after being designed and built to his specifications. It was painted in the rare color of Cheswick green and had a black cloth interior. Another article mentions here that the car had just 15,623 miles on the clock and is part of a significant private collection of special motor vehicles, which means it was the Prince's. It was sold through Silverstone's auction it, it, and it is accompanied by a history file, including letters between George Hassel, director of Royal and Diplomatic Affairs at JLR and Prince Philip's head chauffeur, David Key. He had a head chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> Which means he has more than one. He has uh, yes, to like right, because he had a head chauffeur. That, you're right, exactly. I mean, he he has one. a hierarchy. He has a whole team of drivers, which, I mean, he kind of didn't, shouldn't have been driving. So it's good that he had more than one driver. And then classic vintage Land Rover ads are available. So the series of original vintage ads, print ads for Land Rover uh, has been compiled and framed by the team at Sir Jack's who are now offering them for sale individually. The Land Rover Range Rover prints uh, that began appearing in magazines and newspapers in the late 80s quickly established themselves as an art form. They typically featured an eye-catching image over a witty headline and a small body of text designed to reiterate the messaging. The messaging being that Land Rovers and Range Rovers can go anywhere better than anything else and do it in style. The ads weren't created by Land Rover, but rather by Grace and Rothschild Advertising, based in New York City, overseen by Alan Richardson from 1991 onwards. Grace and Rothschild had the Land Rover ad account from 1986 until the year 2000. Over that 14-year stretch, they developed a slew of ads that won both awards and influenced the ad industry as a whole. You can uh, there will link to the uh, to the uh, to the different ads. You can see them all. They're pretty. They're 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 they're, they're really cool ones, and then you can you can buy them. Uh, they're roughly about five six hundred dollars a piece framed. I think they're that expensive because they had to look around for a while to find some of these that were not oil stained. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, where's the, I like the one with the. Uh, they had this uh, introducing the most beautiful vehicle in the world. And this is a Range Rover Classic that's all muddy. You may re you may remember that one. That was a that was a cool one. I like that. Oh yeah. 
I've always yeah, thought doing doing a a wrap on a vehicle that's mud splashes would be cool. Yes. Well, we had that one guest who they had the the rust wrap oh, on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, the Defender. Austrians. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I I saw that truck in person. It was it was well executed. Oh, I'm just checking nice. the article now. There's some of the some of the the one the one I really like is already sold out. This is the Defender 110 Jungle Transportation ad, and the the text says uh, one of these legendary forms of jungle transportation. Own one of these legendary forms, and and so it's the 110, and the other legendary form is a vine. Yeah, that's pretty cool, and that's already sold out though. That was for five hundred dollars, so that's a that's a cool one. So, but anyways, the link to that if it does interest you, you want to have the put them on your wall. Those are those are actually kick ass ads. They were pretty cool. They're cool. And finally, we're going to end on the Freelander. Haggerty did a full write-up called the Full English Land Rover Freelander. And yes, I'm going to read significant parts because it's the Freelander. It's important. Warning, warning, Freelander content. This was a car which proved that the Land Rover badge had a promising future outside of gargantuan mud-plugging workhorses, the Defender, and huge go-anywhere family troop carriers in the shape of the Discovery. Smaller than the Discovery, which had been launched in 89, the Freelander came about as a result of Land Rover bosses after signing off the Discovery in the mid-80s, deciding that like BMW's 357 series cars, they needed a smaller model to attract younger and less wealthy people into the mark so they could progress upwards within the Land Rover brand. There was also the realization that these cars, such as Suzuki Viterra, there was a growing market for a smaller, cheaper, and more road-based 4x4, a sector which had subsequently become known, however erroneously, as sport utility vehicles. Proving this point was Toyota's RAV4, launched in 1994, and Honda's CRV, launched in 1995. A team of engineers from Rover and Land Rover were put together under a project heading of Lifestyle, which could produce such a three-series entry model with a monocoque body, Land Rover's first, this begat a, ch- a change in name to Pathfinder team and various Maestro van prototypes were built, but then ideas started to diverge. Front or four-wheel drive, multi-purpose vehicle, or little off-roader style, question mark. Uh, disagreement and infighting split the team. Skipping ahead, trigger alert, Harold, uh, you're going to be triggered here in just a moment. A set of sketches submitted to the board by young Jerry McGovern coincided with this new direction. Cute and short and rolling on massive sticky out wheels and tires, McGovern sketches for a five door were nice enough, but the, but the three door borrowed heavily on concept seen at General Motors and Saab for a kind of off-road pickup sport cab, sport car concept. His three door Freelander had a demountable rear roof, which left the roof rack in place and removable glass Targa top to give it a cabriolet style. Land Rover bosses weren't normally known for their funky style, but this went down a storm and BMW bosses viewing the Rover and Land Rover before purchasing them uh, for 800 million pounds in 94 must have swooned. Yes, it is very, it is like peak 90s design style there. And and that's Jerry. I'm showing the picture. That's Jerry. Look at the hair. <laughs> yeah. C- considering, yeah, considering Jerry's like always, you know, Mr. Fashion and all that, it seems like he... He has this very, very clean cut 90s suit, but he's wearing 80s hair. 
Skipping ahead, ironically, which had up until 1988 had owned 20% of Rover, had collaborated closely on new models and would have seen a lot of the early work on the Freelander. And being a better funded enterprise was able to get its response. The CRV out uh, was able to get the CRV out earlier than the Freelander. Land Rover courted Honda, amongst others, with a view to establishing a joint partnership and even came close to having uh, Velmet in Finland build a three-door model before BMW came along and brought the project in-house. Freelander, wa- Freelander was to introduce a number of new drivetrain ideas to Land Rover, including hill descent control, an electronic system which used brakes to restrict the speed when coming down slippery slopes, and viscous couplings in the prop shaft and the intermediate reduction drive. It would have permanent four-wheel drive with McPherson struts front and rear, supported by lower arms at the front and trapezoidal link at the rear, with anti-roll bars at both ends. The launch was held in Spain, and the press loved it. The best sport utility there is, said Autocar, of the 1.8 station wagon on its first road test. It has space, pace, style, and not a little grace. With a 0-60 to 60 mile per hour in 10.5 seconds, top speed of 108 miles per hour, and an average fuel consumption of 24.6 miles per gallon, this seemed hardly much to write home about. But remember, this was 1997, and the Freelander comprehensively outdrove its rivals and had a genuinely innovative and comfortable interior. As for the name, uh, CB40 was to be called the Highlander, the Freelander was to be called the Highlander, and the tailgate was recessed with space to accommodate that many letters before Rover realized the name was owned by Volvo. Freelander was a last-minute choice, a name derived from Freedom and Lander, and it filled the boot recess area. It was aimed at a younger market than that had previously bought Land Rovers, and the marketing department went into paroxysms of lifestyle-oriented outdoor outdoors types. And Freelander was a fantastic sales success. It became the best-selling 4x4 in Europe for five years after its sales launch with over 540,000 sales over nine years. Shame is that uh, Land Rover decided not to homologate Freelander for America, where it could have been an even bigger success. Time, however, showed that early cars were were victims of almost unbelievable niggles and faults, which lost Freelander a lot of friends. The (laughs) (laughs) the self-destructing interior, the silly electrical and component faults, and mechanical maladies. To say nothing of rear main seals. Or windscreens. And to sum up, Land Rover owes the Freelander a lot. But the Freelander 2, which has been extensively re-engineered on a new platform by Ford, was a much better car and a lot more reliable. In 2016, Land Rover designated Freelander its eighth heritage vehicle, illustrating perhaps the debt of gratitude that the company owes the car that encountered no end of skepticism within the Land Rover and when first shown was scoffed at by the diehard off-road brigade. Not just when first introduced, they're still scoffed at by the diehard Land Rover brigade. In defense of the, this is the in defense of the Freelander. So we, we, especially as we approach the 75th birthday in defense of the Freelander. Where we hope to see a Freelander amongst the 300 plus registries. And that's the news for February, 2022. Knightsbridge Overland seat covers help protect your classic Land Rover. Whether you're on the trail or cruising around town, they're the perfect solution for protecting your pristine Land Rover seats or to cover up your well-worn and aged seats. Each seat cover is hand cut and sewn in the USA for a custom fit that looks like it's straight from the factory. Every seat cover is crafted using durable 600 denier Cordera material. It's waterproof, oil and dust resistant. Knightsbridge Overland seat covers are designed to be extremely comfortable and help keep you warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer while providing protection against mud, 
dirt, grime, and more. Knightsbridge Overland seat covers are available for most classic Land Rovers, including Series, Defender, Discovery, and Range Rover. Select the Knightsbridge Overland seat cover that's right for your Rover. Available in both tactical and non-tactical versions in four colors, black, tan, mocha, and gray. Our tactical seat covers include military-grade Molly webbing that accommodates pouches, weapons, tools, first aid kits, and more. Non-tactical seat cover feature three handy pockets for much-needed extra storage in your Land Rover. Visit KnightsbridgeOverland.com and enter Steer 10 at checkout for 10% off your Knightsbridge Overland seat cover order. That's KnightsbridgeOverland.com. Enter Steer 10 for 10% off your order. Protect and enhance your Land Rover seats with Knightsbridge Overland. Now on the Center Steer podcast, giving the other side of the coin, the other side of the stories from George Bull is Joanna Bull. Joanna Bull, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you're George's wife, but you're part of the Bull overlanding and off-roading team, Team Bull. Oh, I like it. Yes. You like that? I think we, should, we, should, we can call it Team Bull. How's that? All right. Awesome. So we've had George on now twice on, on the podcast, giving us his his stories of uh, overlanding in North America and off-roading in uh, in Africa. And, and he mentioned you a few times in the story. So we thought great opportunity to have you also come in and give some of the perspective how you see the stories. Not saying that George is uh, biased, but you know... <laughs> Sometimes there's uh, there's another part of this. There's another side of the story. Right? We need a voice of reason to set the facts straight. <laughs> uh, before we get into the stories, though, Joanna, how did you become a Land Rover person? How did you get the disease? OK, well, it started surely with George. It wasn't me independently. And uh, George and I, um, I think it was uh, in the Schenectady area where we grew up. We went to a couple of different uh with like Atlantic British, some uh, related events. And he dragged me along and uh, yeah, it was mostly, I think through the people. Um, so I, we, we looked at trucks. I think George was just getting his first truck then. And it was just the immediate camaraderie with the folks we were meeting then. And in fact, we met folks there that we've now known for 20 plus years. So I think that's how it started. So, so it didn't take you too long to get the, get the disease. It was uh, not, not like uh, an unwilling thing for you. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. In fact, um, so, so George and I have been friends since uh, the late eighties. So it's been many, many years of this. And when we moved to New Hampshire, um, we didn't realize that, uh, I needed a, I needed my own car, my first car, actually, that I owned myself. And uh, given the experiences we had, the, the immediate uh, choice for me was a Land Rover. Uh, had you been a car person or an off-roader beforehand, before you met George? No, not at all. That's a short answer. Yeah, so George got got you into, into cars and off-roading. So it's all his fault. The, the adventure side, I sure I have uh, in within me naturally, but at the car part, I'm not, I don't fix any of these trucks. I mm. might I'll break them every once in a while. And I'm a really good, like, hand me the wrench. You know, I, I'll be oh, his uh, assistant, but I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a car person. I know plenty I'm, of car uh, people who have no clue how to fix stuff. That's not a well, Yeah, nor interest. I have no interest either, to just be blunt. But I do have the interest in the overlanding part and the experience part of uh, what it means to be a Land Rover person. And that's what uh, what carries me through. Uh, what was your first Land Rover? Uh, 1969, uh, 88. Um, right on. We had, 
Yeah, it's uh, mostly greenish. Um, <laughs> <Mostly>. Yeah, <laughs> we call that a patina. It has a patina. Yes, exactly, patina. Yep. So that was a really fun acquisition way back when we had mm. a dial-up internet. Um, oh yeah. George found this truck online. Some guy was selling it out in um, San Juan Islands. George told told us about acquiring that that vehicle. So be kind of curious to hear uh, what you think of of that story. He had go back and forth on the island i recall there was a ferry involved and the 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 owners like here just take all the parts and go and to, didn't it fail uh, uh, when you got it back to the mainland i think oh we had a couple of things go go wrong with that that trip it was an amazing trip but it was a, an adventure for sure um so to start off with we uh, bought two one-way tickets and had a backpack full of tools mm. head out to seattle and then took a puddle jumper to the san juan islands confident to, um, you were yeah absolutely ridiculously so one way and, tickets uh, and a backpack full way, of tools. Yep. It was really, it was really awesome. We never considered that we wouldn't make it back. Oh, of course it, not. Never think about that. And also I was working where I had to get back to work within a very short time frame. So we also had a very aggressive cross country trip plan so I could get back to mm-hmm. work. We go to where this truck's being sold. Um, he picked us up at the airport, the, the gentleman, um, took us back to his place. We ended up sleeping in the shed because he didn't, we weren't uh, welcomed into his home. So we slept in the shed, which was kind of interesting <laughs> in itself. Um, anyhow, you, you can, you can buy my stuff, but you are not welcome <laughs> in my home. I like yeah. that. So anyhow, that was a uh, character building as it, in itself. By the way, George didn't tell us that part. Oh, he didn't? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no, that's see, this he is great. Conveniently great. left that out. Yeah. All right. Well, that was kind of creepy cool. So next day we got in the uh, Land Rover, um, which is absolutely filled to the brim. It was the hard top, uh, but the soft top was shoved inside and with every mm-hmm. possible spare part that the guy had on the island stuffed inside. So we're squished in there and then we're driving down the road to get to the ferry and um, the tie rod broke and we started going out crab down Mm -hmm. the road. And, and as we're like realizing something very bad is happening, we see the prior owner drive by us. And I said, he's on his way to the bank, you know, with our money. And luckily he turned around. (laughs) (laughs) He was not very happy. He turned around. I don't remember how we got back to his place. We must have crab, crabbed our way back there, you know, with the tie rod uh, not as it should be. And then um, when George realized what it was, he managed to connect with a well-known Land Rover dude in Seattle. And after calling, and, and there was also an overlanding event uh, or an, a Land Rover event like the next day. So everybody was uh, pretty much out of touch. We couldn't get in touch with them because they were all going to this event. But we managed to connect with this guy and the the uh, Land Rover person that we bought the Land Rover from gave us the keys to his car and said, just take my car and go get this ferry to go to Seattle, which we thought was particularly peculiar since he wouldn't let us in his home, but he gave us the keys to his car. So we did, we took it, managed to meet up with this guy in Seattle. They were pulling an all nighter, fixing up their vehicle for the the event the next day. George miraculously managed to get he, we got what we needed, took the, this other guy's car back to the San Juan Islands so on the ferry again, fixed it, and off we went. So our journey began, full of the truck full of stuff. We managed to make it to the mainland uh, with a proper tie rod attached, and 
as over the course of our trip, we managed to have five flat tires. Uh, literally every tire over the course of the trip um, went flat and we managed to change them. Uh, and then also we experienced vapor lock for the first time. I'm not sure if George told you about the vapor lock. So every you know once in a while... Yeah. So we had to stop and we didn't realize what it was. So we had to diagnose the first time. And then once we became friends with vapor lock, we knew when to, to expect it. We'd pull over, we let things cool down and then we'd carry on again. And then over the course of the journey, we also lost the starter motor. So we had to crank start the trucks every time we wanted. Yeah. I have amazing biceps from our journey. And for you. Yeah, that's right. Cheaper than a gym. <laughs> exactly. The, the hand crank was still with a vehicle? Yeah, yep, it was. It was right there. And I know exactly. I'm looking at it now in my my, mem- my memory bank yeah. and just stick it right in. And it worked like mm-hmm. a charm. And in fact, we carried on cross country now with like, with having no more spares. So we had, you know, we could, our tires were in okay shape. We had nailed the whole vapor lock routine and could crank start the thing. But I had to work that following day. So the last from border of New York state, the Western border of New York to New Hampshire, we drove 100% just tag teaming. He drove, I slept, et cetera, pulled up here. I ran in the house, took a shower and took that same truck to work. Yeah. That's, that's doing New York the long way. Yes, it is. And my work was right by Mount Washington. So if anyone familiar with the state of New Hampshire, I had to go through the notches going up, uh, you know, in second gear, first gear going up in my chugga, chugga, chugga in my 88 to Mount Washington to go to work. So and that's where it's most prone to vapor lock is going up hills in the mountains. Well, there you go. Yeah. And did, did you name it? We did. She probably, probably had a few names for it during the trip. Yeah. She doesn't want to repeat. Is that Busta? I don't remember the name of our 88. Did he call it Busta? Uh, yes. He must, it must be that. It must be. So, and we did have, have a have a great talisman that we got on our journey, a Betty Boop uh, air freshener. Oh, there and you go. And it's still in our trucks, our daily driver. We have Betty Boop air freshener way back from that trip. Got to have a talisman. That sounds like a better name for the truck, Betty Boop. Then Betty, that's right. <laughs> Betty, Betty got you across country and got you to work on time. So did you did you really get home and turn around and jump in another vehicle and drive to work that day? I drove the same vehicle. We had, that you was it. I same? drove the same vehicle. Oh, wow. I'm pretty darn sure that was the deal because, uh, gosh, I don't remember. In my memory, I drove the same vehicle. Well, it was yours, so but no it, time like the present. Yeah. Start using that, it. That adds a great little coda to that story that you actually ended up drove cross country for like, I think it was a full week, get home, turn around, cha- you know, probably showered, change clothes, jump in it and drove to work that, that morning. And that, and you actually did have time to, to stop do. at home and get a change or did you have to drive straight to work? Oh no, no. I, I, we stopped at home and I needed to change. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was it though. We camped along the way. We bought a little two person tent and yeah, or, or we slept in the car. But uh, before we got to that New York border, you know, rush we we did camp along the way which was fun oh except for the one time where we camped and realized i think it was in kansas we got on the road going in the wrong direction so we drove like backwards in flat cornland that was a bad day yeah (laughs) so you had to you had to experience kansas twice twice yes yes it's a bit yeah kansas is flat i mean and and everything's black and white 
Yeah. <laughs> well played, Harold. Well played. Well played. <laughs> so staying in that guy's shed was was prepping you for the journey. Yes, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we just wanted to get out of the shed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that was your daily. That was your daily. How long was that your daily driver? Is it still your daily driver? No, it was my daily driver for many years. It's not anymore. No, no. We have two children and I need to, I need more reliability. We did do end up fixing the starter motor. And, oh yeah, we sure do. We sure do. I look at her every day, but don't drive her every day. No, we need to fix something in it now to make it more reliable. She pops out of gear and goes Woo, down the hill. So, oh yes. <laughs> yes. Not the, good. Not yeah. good. And that particular hill I'm thinking of. Yeah. Not, not so good. No. Have you acquired additional Land Rovers uh, since, uh, since that 88? Me personally, no, not in my name, but we as a family, we sure have. I couldn't count how many we have had or even mm. actually currently have, but yeah we, yeah. we tried with George. It was tough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> too many to count. I have a list. Is, is the right number. I actually keep it as a um, conversation point or whatever in our kitchen. I have, I have the whole list downstairs. I should have brought it up here because oh, nice. it's uh, interesting and it's even how many, categorized how many into pages? runners. Oh, it's just one, but the, you know, okay. from small font. Aside from the 88, do you drive any, any of the other trucks in the, in the bull fleet? I drive all of them. Yeah. I drive all of them. And yeah, in fact, when we were driving across Africa, it was really important. You know, we needed two able-bodied people to be able to, you know, manage through uh, someone's got to navigate, someone's got to drive. And then there's also, you know, the sleep and driving. So any place we needed to go, we both needed to know our vehicles well to be able to drive them well in order to uh, to get there. So I remember when we were coming into the the home stretch, pulling into Cape Town after driving uh, through Africa, George was sleeping in the back of the 101 Ford Control. And he said, you better wake up because we're coming into Cape Town. It was like a, a mind-blowing experience. And that was a, a, an incredible trip. I, I can't imagine being able to sleep in the back of a 101. They're not oh. the quietest, quietest, <laughs> smoothest thing out there. At that point, George had been living in the vehicle for two years. So it was just his normal background noise. Mm -hmm. So he had started that journey. Um, yeah, two years prior, I joined him uh, a year and a half in. So at the six month, six months to go. So a year and a half into his journey, I flew into Nairobi. And then from Nairobi to Cape Town, we traveled together. And by that time, the the, the rumble of the 101 was just, you know, that's just what we 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 adjusted how how loud we spoke to one another. Our hearing probably was affected by that. And do you we still accustomed. still speak loudly to each other the same way? Our whole family carries it uh, loud, loud, loud decibels. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 also because uh, my children have um, got this storytelling bug that my husband has. We are all rather loud at the table, but yeah, that's okay. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yes. My hearing definitely has been uh, impacted by driving uh, series and Defender trucks. It's uh, what? Yeah, yeah what? exactly. Yeah. And, I, and, and I already had tinnitus, and so it's not. Uh, Th this is why the most commonly found accessory in a series truck is a small container of earplugs. Yes. Yes, I have earplugs and mm. I have earplugs in both uh, both my it's, Land Rovers. It's hard to find a series truck that doesn't have some earplugs stashed in it somewhere. 
I think that was our mistake. We don't have any earplugs in any of our trucks, but we should have. (laughs) Of the other trucks, any of them your favorite or ones that you prefer to drive uh, in addition to the 88? Um, Well, my favorites are the 88 and the 101, just because that's where we have spent so many years of adventure together. The other ones are more just, I think, what we use to get around town and they happen to be able to go anywhere. But mostly I lug kids' skis and grocery in them so <laughs> we have our own version of adventure but the, the 88 and the 101 are where my heart is for uh, our land rovers good choice you know yeah. you can haul a lot of skis in a 101 you could it's also really cold in a 101 when you're oh, in yeah. ski season but so if you're I remember going the year skiing, you're going to be out and getting cold anyway what's the difference <laughs> it's true it's true but you also have children in the back of a personnel carrier oh the whole the, it gets much more interesting there was one year we took the 101 to the winter romp in maine it was our one and only year maybe taking the 101 so we've got this very very well uh, set up vehicle for for africa and the equator going to very very cold uh northern maine in february and at one point george and i stopped at a walmart to buy clothing just anything warm to put around our bodies i had like it was just we were like mummies you know we're just all Layers, you were in multiple, multiple layers. Yes, yeah. You didn't even make it to L.L. Bean in time, did you? No, 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 no. (laughs) I always like how L.L. Bean conveniently has a a sale usually around around the romp time. Uh, It's just so you almost have to stop at the if you're going to romp, you have to stop at L.L. Bean and like, oh, there's a sale. Everything's on sale. I'm surprised that they have not figured out to put up a, a vendor booth at the romp yet. You say you you do you like you like driving the 101. You're you're a rare person who has actually driven a 101. Not not many Land Rover folks probably know what a 101 is, let alone have driven one yeah. off road. For for those who who are listening and, and don't understand, it's the over the cab Land Rover. Forward uh, control. Up high. FC stands for forward control. 101 is the wheelbase, of course. You know, it has the step on the on the rim of the wheel so you can get up into the cab. It is by definition badass. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, Joanna, can you tell us anything else about the experience of driving a, a 101? Did you have do you, have you taken it off road? Well, she's taking it through Africa. I think taking it off road, taking it on road, taking it through traffic. It's uh, it, well, when you've driven it for we drove it for so long every day when when we were driving through Africa, it just became very natural for me. So I don't have any crazy, like got to a toll booth, didn't know what to do stories because I had a co-pilot all the time. Is it right? It's right hand drive, right? Uh, it's it's wrong hand drive. Yes. So, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Correct. Yes. As, as well, should be. Some of us believe yeah. the, those who sit on the left side are on the wrong side. So, uh, you know, so it's the other a proper, side. it's a proper 101 then. It's a proper 101. That's right. Awesome. So yeah, when you drive a, that through town, do people get out of your way? Well, uh, I have not driven it through town recently. And where we were, there were other like like bodied vehicles. So like in Africa, you get your lorries and trucks all over the place. So it really wasn't a big contender, right, right. but it was, uh, yeah. But I haven't driven it through like our little town here very much it's been it's been sleeping for a few years she needs to come out and play yeah we are trying to encourage george to bring it to the diamond jubilee at greek peak in june 
Has he, uh, yes. has he briefed you about that yet? Absolutely. Okay, yes. Good. So we're, we're trying to encourage him to get the one-on-one there. I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah. I think, um, on, on a sentimental note, um, we had the truck hand painted on our journey and it never occurred to us that one day the paint would start to flake off. And so there are all these beautiful, like the, the letter, letters, it's, it's perseverance is the name of the vehicle, Percy, and then a little African you know, dancers and drummers all over it. And part of getting Getting the truck ready will also be trying to figure out how to preserve that uh, beautiful artwork. Yeah. Clear coat, just clear over yeah. it. Yeah, it could be. That's maybe the way to go. Pre- yeah. Preserve the, you know, the, the blemishes in the paint is just part of the story. Yes, so if that's you, right. If you put a clear on it, you stop it from getting any worse. Just as long as uh, George doesn't take it on the trail. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, we don't think that will be smart. <laughs> <laughs> Although it would be cool to see it off the trail. Yeah, at the same time, you also want to you worry about the preservation aspect of it. Yeah, she's part of the family. So, so what is your favorite daily driver? Oh... Uh, favorite daily driver. I, well, I hop into my Audi Q7 cause it's very capable okay. and gets us where to need, where we need to go, but that's not part of a Land Rover story. It's, it? it's okay. It's okay. No, it's, yeah. Everybody's got at least one in their fleet. That's non yeah. Yes. Every Land Rover owner, they won't tell you, they may not tell you this. Every Land Rover owner has a non-Land Rover vehicle in their fleet <laughs> that is their daily driver. Trust Some, me. Yeah. Sometimes as the at the encouragement of their Land Rover specialist who, who wants to make sure they have something to drive while the rest of their fleet is in their shop. That's uh, well said. Well said. But I'm a big fan of the studded snow tires and, you know, oh, yeah. we've got... Studs are you, good. You, studs are good. So you don't, you don't daily drive a Land Rover? I do not. Not personally. Okay. No. Yeah. All right. That's fair. So you're in, you're in Africa uh, driving the one-on-one. What other activities have you done in Africa and what other Land Rovers have you driven in Africa? In Africa, that's the only Land Rover. We've driven over there other very capable four-wheel drive vehicles, but um, our 101 Ford Control is the only one we've driven in Africa. And uh, that adventure there are so many stories. It's hard to know where to to begin. Do you have a favorite story that stands out for you in Africa with the 101? Yes, I have a few. Um, I'm sure George told you about the story in Namibia on the Skeleton Coast when we were driving on what we learned was quicksand. And that mm-hmm. was a really impactful experience for us. Um, you, you I tell everybody pretty quick, actually. Yes. Quick sand, quick. Oh, yeah. Ha ha ha. Oh, yeah, well yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Had to sneak so, that one in there. I know, I know. Um, that story is one where I tell our kids I knew that I was gonna marry that man because we worked together like without words when it got really bad. And like through body language and getting the what needed to get done done, it was amazing what we accomplished. When we were driving on the 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 skeleton coast, it was at the time hard packed sand and it was much faster to go than in the in the the sand of the um the desert essentially so that was our our path that we chose but then we realized that the ocean tide was coming in and we're not ocean people like we don't live on the coast and we don't we're not familiar with uh the what occurs now we are so as the water started coming in the water started rising up and the coastline became like quicksand and 
And before we knew it, the water was rising up to the hubcaps and a 101 hubcap is like mid thigh for me, maybe. And I'm five, eight. So it's a pretty, you know, long uh, distance. And Mm -hmm. so George and I were at the same time, you know, literally digging with our, our hands, trying to get the earth away from the bottom of the very big tires so that he could get the sand ladders out and underneath. And somewhere in the mix, I think we managed to winch uh, against the sand ladders stuck in the, the, what was like mud to back out enough to get traction, to extricate ourselves. But that whole thing, it could have taken hours. I don't know. It could have taken an hour. It's hard to tell because you're just in a time warp of crazy is this as the tide tide is rising? As the tide was coming in, and but mm-hmm. we weren't screaming, we weren't yelling, we weren't really. As I said, we weren't even talking. It was just a matter of like, I'll work here, you work there. I got this, and it was, and we taking the heavy things out, putting them on the up on the the dry land, and before we know it, we managed to get ourselves winched out. And there's no tree. You're on the you're in a desert on a on a coastline. Right. You know, it's just like an impossible situation. And if the tide had come in, the truck would have been out to to see. We would have been dead. So it was just like it was crazy. But we uh, we learned a lot, and here we are telling the story. And it's a great story. George did tell us about that, where you you know driving, as you said, driving along the coast, and all of a sudden, like you're in quicksand. Like, why are people not using this faster track? And then now you now right. you know why they're not using the faster and then, track. And then very very quickly realize, oh yeah, that's why. It's always funny to me how people have their sand ladders like tucked in places. Like you need your sand ladders accessible, and your you know your high lift jack accessible. Don't put them all under all your luggage because it's not where they're going to be helpful when right. you really need it. When you need them, you need them now. Yeah, exactly. As the water's coming up and lapping at the door and you're like, I got to get all this stuff out so I can get my, you know, get the sand letters out. Yeah, you do need to have them out and accessible and ready to go. Yeah, they now make a, uh, what's, uh, I'm not sure what it's called. It's like an anchor though, that go, it's take an anchor and you put it into the ground and you can use that as a winch point. It's a ground anchor. Ground anchor. There you go. Yeah. They now make one of those. It looks like a, a, uh, the prowl of a ship in the front and it, it and then it so it wedges itself into the ground when as you pull it then it starts digging deeper into the ground the the old school guys used to dig a hole and bury their spare tire in it with a chain on it ah there we go yeah I, and my in my memory, I think we we winched on against another sand ladder, but I don't I don't know. It was it's a bit of a blur, that but I think too. that's what we did. The um the beautiful thing about the one hundred and one winch, of course, is you can winch from the front or the back, and uh, I think it was our the own the one hundred and one winch we used, mm-hmm. but we had another one in there as well, so it could have yeah, been. It's a very cool else. winch, and it runs off the transmission, so you have yeah power for it. But if you have nowhere to anchor it to, it's somewhat useless. Yes. Yes. No trees to be had on the skeleton coast. Oh, there's another story I should tell you about. Um, Another favorite one. And I forgot about this truck because she's she's not among our runners anymore. So the 88 and the 101 are our runners, but they're 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 um, they're sleeping. They're they're resting. But one really fun truck that we had uh, have currently still have. But she's just got uh, trees growing through her at the moment in retirement. She's very much in retirement. Uh, 109. It's George's first truck, actually. There's a one, a red 109 that um, we have so many fun stories in that one. And in terms of adventures and driving, like I love driving that truck because it, I 
felt invincible. We didn't realize until, oh, it was winter romp actually, John, where um, the body of the truck was not actually bolted to the frame. And so as we were going up the um, power line, called? The power line. Yeah. The power line hill. We realized that it, a clam effect was happening, you know? <laughs> and then we were, <laughs> and that, so we, we realized an opportunity there. Did George tell you about that time and that how the doors, what, yeah, and all our luggage came out the back. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, you were you were losing you were losing uh, all your supplies and and luggage uh, yes, out, out the back of the power yeah. line. The power line, for those who are not familiar, is a kind of as it sounds like it's a it's on a hill. It's about I'd say thirty five degrees, maybe forty degree hill. It's it's pretty pretty inclined. Yeah, it's a, it can be a challenge. I can imagine all your stuff <laughs> coming out the yeah, back. Yes, coming. Well, it gets easier as it, as the truck gets lighter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It all worked out fine. So he did tell the story that I that, that we would like to get your side of of going up to trying to get up to Hudson's Bay and and in in that I think that was a 61109. Yep, yep, that's the one. Yeah, so George spent a lot of time getting this truck ready and this was the inaugural trip. Like we were going to take her out and go north and Hudson Bay was our, our goal. Again, I think I was constrained by work having to get back, but uh, George was a little more, had a little more latitude. You're the sensible we had one. Our, yeah, well, oh, we can call it that. So we had, uh, we had our goal and we had, um, we're very light travelers. Like we don't pack a lot of stuff. We stay in the same clothes for days and we, you know, focus on the essentials. We had, we had food that was easy to consume. We had beer for, you know, the celebratory beer at the end when we like dipped our, our tire into the Hudson Bay. That was our, our goal anyhow and our camping equipment and a tent. So on the way, we, uh, we definitely learned uh, about bears and our first experience of how to keep your food separate from the uh, sleeping quarters and that it's really, really cold sleeping in a, a tent on your way to the Hudson Bay, no matter what, what time of year, really. So anyhow, we made our way up. Um, we realized that, that we had to leave our beer at the, the border with the... Uh, now, is this the Inuit? Yeah, it'll come to me. Anyhow, we had to leave our beer at the at the border with the as we were as we were coming not in the Canadian border, but as we were entering the um, the first for one of the first the, nations the, in the Canada? indigenous territory. Yes. Yes, that's right. That's right. And so that's okay. So it wasn't actually very okay. We, we They said, don't worry, when you come back, you'll get it. And in fact, on the return journey, we did get it. <laughs> we will return but, uh, the empty bottles to you. No, <laughs> no, not at all. That's interesting. They don't allow, they didn't allow alcohol on their, no on their alcohol. land. Wow. Okay. Yep. I didn't know yep. that. That's interesting. Wished we had known. We would have approached the situation differently, but uh, right. we, anyhow. So, oh, but on the way, I don't think George told you the part about when it caught on fire. So the dash caught on fire no he did not no. he didn't tell us about the fire and, story no and i always wondered why every a lot of land rovers we may not have earplugs but we always have fire extinguishers oh, yeah. in the cab good plan <laughs> so, good plan yeah. so we actually had to uh put out a, a little fire i think it was an electrical fire in the dash as they all as start. i was talking as they yeah either, and, either uh, the wiring hey, or the fuel one or the other it always starts there Luckily, it was just the wiring and he was able to we, we put the fire out and we fixed what needed. I think the duct tape was involved and then we carried on. We didn't think, oh, we should go home now. We just because this was on our journey north. So but we made it as far as St. John Bay, St. John's Bay, I think is where we we had a, a non-alcoholic celebration and then 
journeyed home the same vehicle on another adventure up north. Uh, we had another, it wasn't an electrical fire or any fire, but we did have a hole in the gas tank. No, this was a great adventure with some good friends of ours. Those who are at the main Northwoods, uh, same group of people are uh, probably second really big adventure in the 109 um, where we did not have GPSs. We had maps and and latitude and longitude to consider. It was like the old days. It was great. Compasses? So you, you had a compass out? We had a compass. We had an old, uh, you had a, the satellites had to come up and you could like find your One of the first waypoints. GPSs that just basically yeah. told you where you were somewhere oh, yeah. and you had to figure they, it out from there. Coordinates exactly. Yes. I loved that. And that's how we traveled through Africa too, by the way. That's what we use. Just like maps old school, like no GPS turn here now. Anyhow, we managed to find our friends in the middle of the woods in North Main, Northern Main, North Main woods somewhere. But on our journey, we realized we weren't, uh, our fuel consumption was much higher than we expected. And of course you have jerry cans, you don't have gas stations all over the place. So we had to conserve our fuel and realized we were dumping uh, fuel through a hole in our gas tank. So we came to a store and the instru- I don't know who came up with this idea, but it was brilliant. We all bought um, bubble gum, chewed bubble gum and stuck it on the outside mm-hmm. of the tank to hold the fuel in. And we're all like, f- five of us, 10 of us, however many we were chewing bubble gum and sticking it on the outside of the tank. And it, it, it worked. It kept us uh, at, for what we needed to accomplish to get back safely. We, we managed to conserve our fuel consumption. I've not heard, I've not heard of that as a, as a fix uh, using bubble oh, gum too. I have. It was temp- temporary, but it was effective. <laughs> bubble gum and duct tape goes a long way for a lot of stuff yeah. for a little while. For a little while. Any any other adventures that uh, that are come to mind that are a favorite of yours? I think those were the the two big adventures that really stick out for me. What I think is is funny now that I think about it. George was mentioning this to me earlier this week. Um, it never occurred to me that I was the only woman. I was just uh, uh, we were just a bunch of friends hanging out and traveling, bumbling around the woods together. Mm-hmm. Then I was thinking, like in the early days at the Winter Romp, and certainly on those adventures, like it was just. Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun to think about. I was I happened to be the only woman. And in the early days, there weren't very many female drivers. But now it's really great to see. You've got a lot of, you know, it's men, women, partners, everybody just driving the trucks. And, and as it younger, should be younger. As it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. My my six year old daughter's ready to take the keys. That's for sure. Awesome. Can she change <laughs> tires yet? Can she uh, gap? gap points not not yet but give her time all right right. never too young to learn these things that's right have you taken the kids on any of your adventures oh all of them yeah we're not the type of family that leaves the kids with the grandparents and we carry on the kids are with us absolutely every adventure we go on it wasn't in a land rover however we did drive through uh we took the kids on overlanding in botswana south africa and botswana three years ago. So my daughter was in diapers. My son was barely out of diapers and he was, uh, he was six. She was two 
however, I think five, two and five, I think is how it went. We had a great adventure there, um, free camping and, you know, not on a guided tour. And, uh, it was just wonderful to see the kids just embrace that there was no fear. Well, we weren't scared. So of course mm-hmm. they wouldn't be scared. Um, and to just, they're, they're too uh, young to learn the fear. Well, there was a moment when it very well could have been fear when we, we made a poor decision. I knew it was a poor decision going into it, going south to north in the central Kalahari game reserve. Did George tell you that story? Let's hear it. Oh gosh. Yeah. So George did a lot of the the planning in advance. My responsibility as we led up to this was to get everything organized. So I made all the reservations on certain um, game parks where we needed to have a reservation. I did a lot of research on like distances between things and recommendations and every single thing I read said, do not go south to north in the CKGR because the sand is thick. There's no like the gate. There's not much game. If you're interested in animals, it's just drudgery and dangerous and don't do it. So that was George's Mm. plan was to go south to north in the CKGR, no matter how (laughs) I encouraged him otherwise. George strikes me as the kind of guy that when he's told, do not do this, it's way too dangerous. That's what he wants. Yep. Yep. And that's what we did. And I think he would tell you now that it was not a very good decision. At one point we were, we, ah, we had you. So talk about fuel consumption. You need to bring all your fuel, right? There's no tanking up in the middle of the Kalahari and you have to have, uh, you have to plan what you think you're going to consume across the distance. When you're driving through two feet of thick, greasy sand, guess what? You burn a lot more than you expect. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and we're getting stuck every five feet, every three feet having, and it was just impossible. Um, So at some point we did the calculation and realized we're not going to make it. We need to turn around. It was a, like it's George acknowledged, you know, this is not, we can't continue going forward. We have to go back. And then you have to turn around and you're, you're in like very, you're in a pit of sand and you have to figure out how to get the vehicle turned around. And these vehicles, we had two rooftop tents on. So they were top heavy with the rooftop tents on the top, two of them managed to turn this vehicle around. So talk about children in fear. Um, Luckily, we had George's sister with us and she kept them in the shade of a very small bush playing with them and trying to keep it light while I was thinking this was the end, you know, family of five found in the, in the desert. Um, but we managed to turn it around. The children were talking about how they wanted to go home to their stuffies, but weren't scared. And then when we got back to the campsite that night, it happened to be my birthday. As a matter of fact, it was my birthday. So this is on top of it all. So anyhow, we got back to the campsite and the children on their own put on a play for us. They made it up themselves. So we're around sitting around the fire. I'm just thanking the Lord above that we were alive. And the kids put on a play of their adventure of the day. So they had no fear. They had fun and they turned it into a play which was awesome. Do they still remember that trip? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In fact, uh, we're going back. We might go back next year. Yeah, they remember it. And uh, I kind of want to do the exact same thing, except maybe go north to south. <laughs> except except yeah. maybe the getting stuck part, right? 
<laughs> the getting really, really stuck part. Yeah. And do, doing a three point turn in the middle of sand. Uh, oh, and it's, you can't even just call you know. it sand. It's just like sand soup. It oh, was is awful. It? Okay. Is yeah, it like, yeah. it like quicksand again? Of, oh. The kind of, the kind of terrain that turns a three point turn into a 336 point turn. Yeah. Yes, yes. And winching off of like withering bushes and like you just, oh, it's just awful. Trying to grab a hold Sorry. of anything you can. Yes, yeah. a small child, anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you took the kids. Here, hold this, yeah. here, hold this line. <laughs> Living yeah. ground anchors. Let's play tug of war with the truck. What I, what I also love, though, about traveling with the kids and uh, like how like the character building part of it, this is not just about Land Rovers, right? It's overlanding an adventure and learning what you're capable of and learning what you need and learning what you don't need. The kids know that you can just open a tin of beans and eat it and you won't die. You don't have to heat them up and have it in a bowl. It's OK to have one food group at a meal. You know, like that's OK. It's OK to have what you cooked last night for breakfast cold. That works, too. And, yeah, it's a really. Really, yeah, really good life experience. lessons. Totally good life lessons. Uh, you can wear the same clothes for three days and you won't die. You, you might smell really bad, but that's okay too. So, the, so they're ready for college. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> are they interested in driving? Do you, or, or, and of course then, you know, are they interested in Land Rovers? Oh, very much so. Very yeah. much so. And the kids would, are looking forward to when Percy goes to Greek Peak. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. So, that's so cool. they're already packing their bags, ready to go. Oh, they love these trips. Absolutely. Yeah. No, they, they, they love it. And, and the, my little 88, um, for the longest time, that's what they drove around in when George had to drop them off at daycare or whatever. The pictures of the kids in the 88 are just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Actually, it was just, it was just my son, my, my daughter, not yet, but yeah, with my son, with his sunglasses on, you know, a little tykester in the passenger seat, in his car seat. Of course. Yes. Car seat. Yes. yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. so, so are the kids anxious to uh, see the 109 get revived? Nope. Nope. They don't have any recollection of the 109 because they weren't part of it. And they just look at it as a vehicle in the part of the landscape at the moment. So not the 109, not yet. That's too bad because that would be a fun family project. It would be a fun. F ah, <laughs> yes, I think it would be. Yes. Oh, you want to learn to drive? Great. Build that truck. That's right. That's right. So in the more modern uh, Land Rovers, any adventures in those, uh, the, you know, the LR3, I know George has taken that to several places. Have you been part of any of those journeys or done them yourself? All of the journeys. Yeah. Every, every journey George has been on, I've been with him for the most part, except for that first one and a half years in Africa where he was, where he was flying solo with a couple of friends of his, uh, with, with one good friend of his. Um, so the, but in terms of memorable journeys in the LR3, the ones that come to mind are, you know, playing with friends in the main North woods, really. And that's where we spend a lot of time. I, I, I say that to lead into your driveway. <laughs> oh yes. It's funny. I, I, I call it a driveway. I call it, I call it like the road that goes to our house. I know well, we, 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 we just called the driveway. It just seems like there was a lot of, <laughs> a lot of interesting stories around, around the driveway. It's like just getting off your, uh, your hill, your mountain to go to the store. seems like an adventure. It's an overlanding experience it, to go get groceries. It is. And is, in fact, it, it's kind of um, funny. We've, we just, too many people know uh, when they come to our house, they say, you know, should we park at the bottom so you can transport us up? 
up in one of your vehicle vehicles like yeah yeah today's a day where you have to park at the bottom and we'll come we'll come fetch you but we we bring everybody up in a uh they get a personal escort in our vehicle up um, versus trying to take their own because sometimes you know you might be able to make it up but you might not be able to make it down with snow or ice or we did have a, a serious washout uh this this uh, winter over the Christmas holidays, which is the story I thought you were going to talk about, um, when a, a big rock had fallen into the over blocked a culvert of ours. Did George tell you about this? It was awful. So the so this huge rock blocked the culvert that had would allow water to pass under our driveway. But on December twenty third, when that occurred, all of the water that would have gone down from you know the mountain down under our driveway instead was going straight down the middle of our driveway. Oh. And I was taking the LR3 actually with my daughter and my uh, sister-in-law to go to, to my daughter's gymnastics class. And we look at this river of water and I said, oh no, this is bad. So I have to back up the hill and the LR3, I told George and we were down there. It was kind of another skeleton coast experience, except there was a lot more verbalization about what we needed to do. Um, mm. Yeah. Air quotes. <laughs> so and, we and had not always in the same uh, direction. Yes. No, no. Um, but we needed to work really fast. And again, it's icy water. It was, oh, yeah. we had a torrential downpour. So those of you who went through the, uh, the, the serious rain sleet storms um, in that right around Christmas time this year, those of you in, in New Hampshire and the Northeast, it was pretty serious. So the rain was coming down like a sheet of ice rain. And because it was rapid snow melt, because it was relatively warm for the time of year, the amount of water that was gushing through was torrential. So our driveway is being washed away um, with this river going down it. And we had to use every vehicle we could to try to figure out how to remove this boulder from the, not boulder, a very, very large rock from the blocking the culvert. So we managed to do so eventually, which including me getting into the icy water, you know, helping to move it as George is, you know, using various implements to, to get it out. And then, um, and then we had an exciting terrain. Once the water, you know, had subsided and was flowing as it should under the driveway, what was left was just like, imagine a dried up riverbed, you know, where there, we have pictures of the kids like up to their waist in the gullies that were left. Oh, wow. That, so that is a lot of. That's a lot of moving of dirt. And, yeah, and coated with is. ice, too, I imagine. And co it was awful. So we had literally our Land Rovers are the only vehicles that could make it up and down the driveway with serious, you know, off camber, like trying to make it over the until we could. Um, George actually ended up fixing it himself. We had I don't know how many tons of material, you know, hauled in and he used his uh, trucks to uh, to fix it all. But until then, yeah, it was it was a serious Land Rover only uh, or Unimog, excuse me, but yeah, Unimog uh, sure. adventure terrain. Those yeah, honorary Land Rovers. There we go. Wow, that was that was the driveway story I thought you were going to ask about. No, that's a good one. I think that <laughs> happened after we interviewed George, so I don't think we. Uh, I don't think it had happened yet. That's correct. It did happen after. It did happen after we uh, we talked to George originally. We talked to him in November. So to get to the grocery store, you needed to like put her in four year four wheel drive, and yeah, hang oh my on. gosh, <laughs> hang on. Exactly. And when when it's icy, I guess you need the kids and uh, to run out in front with brooms. <laughs> Don't know about that. <laughs> Sweeping the ice to control the direction of the slide like a curling stone. 
Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. No, we, we don't go to the gym. We basically, if we have bad weather like that, we may have a vehicle that's capable. Otherwise we park at the bottom and we hoof it up and down. So we get plenty of exercise. Now there was a story that uh, George had told of going down in the uh, LR3, putting on hill descent control because he wanted to test it out. And the, the, I guess it was more icy or slick than he anticipated. And he put it off the, off the driveway and had kind of gone just right into the, off the driveway. And he was, he was, he was hoping that the hill descent would work and apparently it didn't do what he expected. Well, once, once you start going in the wrong direction, hill descent is going to increase that for you. And there seems to be no reining it in. We have taken multiple vehicles off the side. So it's funny how you said like the story of this. So I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to picture the one that he was talking so about. She's running the but, list in her head, trying to figure yeah. out which one. <laughs> The one that I, my version of the story, I think he's referring to is actually, I think it's an all, it might just be a different story, but the part, okay. So we had a big snowstorm and George thinks that, okay, we both love Land Rovers, but I think I'm more realistic about the capabilities and being reasonable. George said, he can do anything. I'll park at the top. I can make it down. So this is why we park oh, yeah. at the bottom now because Words of what of I'm about rookie. to describe. Mm, yeah, exactly. Or just whatever. My husband. So we had the kids in the car. We were needed. We needed to go somewhere, and he's going down. I said, George, the snow's too deep, or it's just it's we're we're going to start to slide. George, we're sliding. We're sliding. No, ah! and there we are. We end up actually in a snowbank against a telephone pole in the middle of our driveway. So the, the driveway actually goes around the pole. Well, we ended up in the snowbank smack at the base of the telephone pole. There we are. There we are. What are you going to do? You can't winch it up. You're, we're stuck in the snowbank. We're about to go somewhere and we can't get to where we need to go. And so we spent, yeah, everyone gets out and we had to figure out how to get this vehicle unstuck. We had to bring shovels. We had to get down to, I think we had to go get sand. And yeah, that was our evening. Maybe the next day too. I think we had to just leave it there and work on it the next day as well. Say hike so. back up and grab another one and, and take another step. Yeah, no, 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 no. We needed to properly uh, get the driveway like really prepared to be able to take to, to extricate and, and move along with that vehicle. But I think any plans for that evening were dashed for other plans, you know, character building plans. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you call it character building. <laughs> I think you need to like get patches made up and whenever anybody successfully manages to get up and down your driveway, they earn an award. I that that's a very good idea i very mastered the driveway the driveway yeah it sounds like there should be a uh, a land rover event that takes place on your driveway i don't know it just seems like a natural thing yeah but uh, you know but but we can sleep in their shed but they don't trust us in their home that's right you have to sleep in the shed i like that that's great we, we've got the, the the bull land rover event i'm liking it now you can drive uh, our vehicles but you cannot be in our home that's right oh uh, we are very welcoming home I, no, I'm, I'm sure you are i'm sure it's all in good fun careful who you say that to on the internet so we lived in london for about a year and um while we were there of course our weekend adventures might include Include, you know, anything Land Rovery. And so as one time, uh, as it should, as it should. So George suggested we go to one of these events. Again, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a big one and they were selling all kinds of things. And 
Um, I had just won from our office um, lottery thing. It was the European Cup, I think, and Greece had won, and I won. So I had all this, these winnings from the the pool from the Ooh. from the European Cup, and. Um, Flush with cash at a, at a park Flush sale. Flush with cash. Yes, exactly. You know where I'm headed. So oh, that's a dangerous are, thing. And at this particular event, we you sleep over. We camped for some reason. I, so we were camping there, I think, because it was at nighttime. And everyone gets, you know, a little bit friendly around the campfires. And and it's always a good idea to buy car parts in the dark. Oh, right? Yeah. After oh, like yeah. a couple Absolutely. of years. Yeah. So George really needed an overdrive for this Land Rover that he had just acquired that we didn't actually even have the ability to drive yet. And so I don't know how, but he snookered me into giving him all of my winnings from uh, this, uh, from my uh, office pool. Uh, and he bought an overdrive in the dark, I think from, well, anyhow, from some, from some people, I don't even know if it ended up working. We have the overdrive. We have the vehicle. The two have not met yet. We left London. I don't know, 20 years ago, we've got an opportunity still to, right. uh, to make use of this overdrive. Yeah. So that was just a, a little story about, you know, our adventures in, in, uh, in the UK. Yeah. We met some really good friends talking about, you know, camaraderie and, and, and overlanding fun. We met some people there that we are still at that particular event that we're still friends with to this day. They've been to our home. We've been to theirs. And uh, yeah, in fact, we didn't even know their last name for the longest time. And it turns out I had the last, same last name, which is kind of funny made a name that's cool that's yeah. a neat little yeah. thing yeah. We, were at, we were at their house and we we're like by the way we don't even know your last name oh it's this oh so I'm in mine yeah it was kind of funny <laughs> have you figured yeah. out how you're related yet it was through the, the Cameron clan we'll just leave it at that okay so a few generations yeah. back there's bound to be a cousin somewhere somewhere that's right so do you have any future Land Rover plans of any Land Rovers that call to you or that you'd like to to drive or acquire or some adventuring that you would like to to do? I really want to take um, my little 88 out of uh, her very comfortable resting place nest, I should say, not resting place, but, but her where she's sleeping right now and just get her up and going. And this summer would be really nice to just take her out on some little adventures. But nothing, not, not with a new rover. I'm happy with what we have. That's excellent. Maybe we'll see you at the Greek peak at the uh, Diamond Jubilee. Could be. Well, you'll definitely see me there. Just not sure exactly which rover we'll be in. Or if you really want an adventure, why don't you come down to Pittsburgh in July okay. for our big event here? Pittsburgh has the, as our listeners have known, because we talk about it all the time. A couple times a, a month. Yes, we do talk about it. There's the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix, which is the largest uh, racing that takes uh, vintage racing that takes place on city streets. I think in the world, maybe there's two in the world, but I think it's the definitely in the world. And uh, it is a it's now a celebration of motorsport uh, event. And it uh, it's generally free, but it does support uh, autism uh, as, a, as a charity. But it takes place uh, on city streets in Pittsburgh in July. And there's some other events that go on. But the, the in particular, there is a uh, car show that takes place uh, the second to last weekend of July. And uh, we are inviting folks to bring their Land Rover to that for, nice. the, for, the, for the car show. So it'll be, and hopefully some other activities, which I'm trying to organize uh, for that we, event. We always have a good showing of, of the local Land Rover folk, but we're trying because of the 75th, trying to get a bunch of Land Rover folks to come and just mob the place. That sounds wonderful. It's a six hour drive from Greek Peak to give you a reference. <laughs> 
Okay. So it sounds like a wonderful long drive and an, and an antique Land Rover. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. In the but, middle of summer, it's great. Character building. Yeah. But, but once you're here, you'll have all the sights and sounds and smells of motorsport. It's, it's lovely. Oh, fantastic. Joanna, thanks very much for talking to us today on the, on the podcast and, and giving us a, another perspective of Team Bull and their, your off-roading and adventuring activities. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope to see you at an event soon. You will. We hope you enjoyed show number 119. Stick with us for a few more minutes. We will include you in the podcast, especially the April edition. But first, I want to thank our guest, Joanna Bull of we're now calling Team Bull for coming on to the podcast, giving us her uh, her perspective of uh, going off road and overlanding. What really happened? <laughs> Don't you can't sleep in the house. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Harold and to Morgan for coming on again as always thanks guys yeah sure yeah thanks and thanks to Dixon too, too busy collecting airplane junk and of course thanks to the one true packs for his continued production support we post a new podcast at the end of every month our website centersteer.com has all our shows to listen to and show notes with links to stories discussed in today's podcast and also the, the past podcasts you can directly support the podcast at patreon.com slash center steer. You can buy a t-shirt, a sticker. You can even buy us a tea. The menu on our website has all the links. And if you have an idea for a guest, send us details and the contact info, contact info if you have it. In honor of Land Rover's 75th birthday, you are invited to bring your Land Rovers, especially Series and Defenders, to the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix in July of 2023. You have... Five, five, that's on one hand now, five months to prepare for the Vintage Grand Prix and four, four months to prepare for an Arcs Diamond Jubilee in New York. Which gives you one month between those two shows to fix what you break in New York so that you can get to Pittsburgh. So we've been thinking here on the podcast how to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Land Rover in April. And April 30th is the day in 1948 that the Land Rover now called the Series 1, debuted at the Amsterdam Motor Show. That's Land Rover's birthday, or as JLL call, calls it, World Land Rover Day. So do we invite a Land Rover celebrity, a JLR rep, a JLR engineer, an automotive historian to put everything in perspective? Well, the podcast was conceived, you know, sitting around a campfire, especially at Mar, telling tales tall and, and not so tall uh, from the day's trail rides. And as it's been said, uh, another Land Rover owner is a friend you just haven't met yet. You know, Land Rover North America brought def uh, together Defender owners, new and old, last year for the uh, def Destination Defender event. So to pull this all together, Jeff Aronson, I think, said it best. It's about the community. You know, Land Rover ownership isn't just about the vehicle. Well, certainly owning a vehicle, you know, owning a Land Rover is foundational, but it's also, it's about the people, the connections, and the and ultimately the community. I and mean, that's why the podcast is here. We want to hear from you about your birthday moment. When did you become a Land Rover enthusiast? Was it when you helped your father work on their Land Rover? Was it when you read First Overland? Was it when your spouse shared their passion? Was it at an off-road rally or an overland event and you witnessed Land Rover doing something cool? Was it when you walked by a Freelander in London? Uh, that, that's just me. That might just be me. Uh, we want to hear your story, your Land Rover birthday moment. When were you bitten by the Land Rover bug? So record your story. Send it to us by April 15th. We'll share your story on our April podcast. You don't need broadcast quality equipment, but it is best to record in a quiet place with soft surfaces. 
And while you can sing in the shower, it's not good to record podcast audio in the shower. I'm not saying you should record the shower, but you get the sense of hard surfaces are not good for for recording. Not to mention the electrocution hazard. (laughs) (laughs) The voicemail feature through our website is available to use to record, but again, use a quiet place with soft surfaces. And it's best to use your smartphone if you're recording because the mics and laptops are absolutely the worst. they're, They're not good microphones, especially for recording podcasts. What? <laughs> we'll even <laughs> record your story over Zoom, email us, and we'll schedule a time for that. So share your Land Rover birthday story with the Land Rover community on our April 2023 podcast. You're invited to send in your stories. So thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you and what you're up to in your Land Rover. Until next time, I ask you to share the show with one other Land Rover enthusiast. On behalf of the entire staff here at the Sinister Podcast, I'd like to thank you for listening today. We know you have a choice in your podcast content, and we do appreciate your choosing us. Please take a moment to look around you for any personal items you may be leaving behind, especially in the overhead bins. Keep in mind that items may have shifted during the show. Please watch your step when you exit, and you may now resume your important things. Did George tell you about this?